Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You said that if I killed my father, you'd tell me everything I wanted to know about the island. So why don't you start at the beginning? It's the Lost Rewatch Podcast here on Post Show Recaps. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by uh, the guy in the rocking chair who is absolutely, definitely, 100% here, Mike Bloom. Mike, how you doing? Happy birthday, Josh. Oh, you remembered. Yeah, now uh, I want you to open the gift that okay. I said keep wrapped until today. All right, hold on. Just give me a quick second. Yeah. Russell, 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 Russell. Russell, Russell, Russell. That's the sound of me opening the, the present. Get Russell out of here. Uh, uh, wow, this bow, you really tied it tight. Yeah, nice. well, listen, I, all right, I don't want to spoil it, but I'm just, I'm bursting at the seams, Josh. I finally did it. I finally whittled wooden sculptures of you and me. Oh, my goodness. Look at these little guys. Yeah, aren't they cute? It's, it's, it's us, so that even when we're separated, we can look on them from afar, even if one of us mysteriously disappears and nobody seems to embrace as to why they ended up not being a part of our lives in the future. Oh, it's like turtle doves, right? You know, like, I'll always remember you because I've got your turtle dove. What? It's a Home Alone 2 thing. Do you oh, not remember gotcha. Duncan's okay, toy chest? Say. He has the turtle doves. Yes, and yes, Duncan, yes, yes. And Mr. Duncan gives the turtle doves to Kevin, and he's like, oh, give this to someone very special, and they'll never forget you. And he's like saying this very expectantly, right? Like, uh, give I mean, me I'll be completely the turtle ca- dove. I'll be completely candid. If a scene in Home Alone 2 did not have Tim Curry in it, there's a little to no chance I remember it. He's like, give me the turtle dove. Uh, and Kevin's like, I think I'm going to give it to the bird lady instead. And I think Duncan, Mr. Duncan probably didn't care for that. Anyway, that's uh, neither here ben, nor there. If Ben Linus was uh, Kevin McAllister, he would have gassed the wet bandits, wouldn't he? Yeah, the wet bandits would have been killed for sure. And They would have been like mercilessly gutted and they'd be like, join the pit with all the other criminals that try to invade my house. Well, for what it's worth, it's I don't think it's for lack of trying on Kevin McAllister's part. I do think that many of those traps were intended to kill, uh, but he is unsuccessful. Successful in those attempts, unlike Benjamin Linus, who is going to bide his time from being a young wee tot to being a 
very old 23-year-old <laughs> man. Uh, some people, you know, maturation is a unique process, sure, Josh. Some sure. of us can some of us age perennially forever if you're Richard Alpert. Some of us go gray early on and some of us look like Michael Emerson when we're 20 years old. Do you think that there is anyone out there named Matt Uration? Mm, well, I think Uration is a very odd last name to begin with, especially those that probably Hit made it up. through the Ellis Island If Matt Uration is out there listening to Down the Hatch, we want to know about it. So please let us know. In Down fact, the Hatch. you know what? We'll, we'll do an we'll do an explicit uh, interview with we'll make anyone you a named paper Matt mache Action figure of yourself as well, Matt Uration. Hit us up. Down the Hatch at Post Show Recaps dot com no action figure is actually guaranteed mike a lot of silliness to talk about a very serious episode of lost we're about <laughs> to watch the death of the dharma initiative the birth of benjamin linus uh, literally both literally and figuratively here in what i i feel is very comfortably yet another 4.2 from both you and me uh this episode was i don't want to say even like fun to go back to but you know what? I would say this is technically like the only Ben flashback we get. I mean, I guess we get sort of like the Ben flash forward a bit in season four. Oh, not but, even a bit. We get it for sure. Yeah, but I mean, I would say this is sort of different from like exploring Ben's past. And from that perspective, I would be so forward as to say that the flashback in this episode might be one of like the best one episode flashback stories the show has ever done. Because literally what we're watching, Josh, is Lost version of Making a Murderer. We are watching how this young man is corrupted by the people around him in many ways and the environment around him to become the person that we see today. I think even outside of the flashbacks, we continue the fantastic interplay between Locke and Ben. I think if last episode you really want to call back to a lot of season one stuff in terms of character arcs, this one actually does a lot of calling forward when it comes to the mythology of the island and both naming and developing Jacob, or so we think he is. And it has one of the more shocking endings we've experienced over the course of three seasons. This just hits it absolutely out of the ballpark and continues this extraordinary streak that we started last episode. God, the ending when it happened the first time, I remember is like, ah! Just like really losing my mind. Um, And even knowing that it's coming, it's still so visceral to watch. Uh, A lot of it conveyed in Michael Emerson's voice and so much Ontario Queen's face. And yeah, space. The, the, the pure shock in John Locke where he's like can barely speak. And yes. I mean, he's left to die. And also, Ben Martell points this out. You know, this came two days after Lost essentially declared it had an end date. That it finally, you know, put the things in motion. It was going to run six seasons. It was going to end in 2010. And then to have two episodes later, John Locke, perhaps dead by the end of the episode or certainly dying it was a lot to handle in that moment and it's still a lot to handle now yeah and it was one of those things where i remember myself and my friends wondering like all right well he's gonna live through that but like how how is he gonna get out he looks pretty close to dead this guy so, you, so, I, you, so you're your little like uh asshole friend who predicted that ben was the leader of the others wasn't like well clearly walt's gonna no, show up at no, the brim no. of the pit no i don't think he had that one on the bingo card uh, but i will say in sort of the same way that like when charlie was left hanging in the tree by ethan rom and he nearly died and the show makes you think that he's dead only for them to to miraculously bring him back to life uh, and how my friends and I were like, all right, well, that's the safest character on Lost now. Um, I think that we felt a similar thing with Locke was like, okay, well, 
uh, Locke is pretty much invincible. This is this you know there's no way this guy doesn't make it all the way to the end. Uh, so just another little clever tactic of like the lethality surrounding this man, uh, only yeah. for him to be uh, to be to be you know tossed out uh, not terribly long from now. So it's a really great twist. It's really surprising. Um, and it comes part and parcel with, as you say, not just, uh, uh, potentially the, the only true Ben flashback that we get, the aspects of dead is dead, I think play with that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, certainly the first Benjamin line is flashback, a flashback that mostly does not feature Michael Emerson reprising the role yeah. too, which is interesting. Yeah. This is our intro to baby Ben Linus. You know, here's here's the 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 young lad himself, young Ben, uh, who I'm I'm blanking on the actor's name, Sterling uh, something. Yeah, uh, um, let me look Linus. it up. It's, it's actually really interesting. I was I was watching Sterling uh, the, Silver. No, Sterling no. Beaumont is his name. Uh, um, but I was watching the Lost on Location, and it was you know uh, that was Sterling Beaumont, and it was also Madeline Carolitz, and he's sort of like sitting on the bench talking about like their roles, and they make fun of like yeah, the young Ben cries a lot. He's really in his feelings, and they're both like. Yeah, I love the ending. And it's like, you love the ending? All right, well, you picked the right child actors for Lost, because I know some even adults, including Michael Emerson himself, was pretty disquieted by the ending proper. But if it, if it got into the hearts of babes, I guess we can't chastise them too much. Very disquieting indeed. Um, so this is the first Ben Linus flashback. We have a lot of feedback, obviously, to sort through, as, as we will as we do this podcast. But one just right off the top comes from Andrew S., who says, Do you guys think... Then it made sense to wait this long for a Benjamin Linus flashback. Um, uh, and Andrew, I'm gonna. I would go so far as to say, not only did it make sense, I think Josh, this episode is mandatory to be the episode after the break. Yes, specifically, I think when it, you look at Ben in the last episode and you see him adamantly push Locke to kill his dad, you know this episode is really setting up. And the man from Tallahassee sort of has been this as well. You did a great job of bringing up this idea that it's sort of been a trilogy of John Ben episodes this season. But this episode really hammers home the similarities and differences between these two men. And I feel like once we saw John finally reconcile his relationship with his father and, you know, do what he needs to do to have him killed, we then need to see the other side of the equation immediately. And so I do love that immediate payoff that... Okay, now we know why Ben was pushing Locke the way that he did. Now we know why Ben's fate is tied to Locke in this moment. They both have very similar birth circumstances. They both have mothers named Emily. This is the Batman and Superman of Lost right now, Josh. They're Save fighting each other. Emily! Why did you say that name? Exactly. Uh, like, I, I think that, you know, it, it's Only something... to find out in season five that both uh, Emily Locke and Emily Linus' actual name was Mary. Mm, and then who's the who's sort of the uh, the the weird Jesse Eisenberg Lex Luthor of oh, this group? God. Is it Kimi? I, <laughs> I mean, it really is Ben. <laughs> yeah, ben would be the one to bring jars of pee to yeah, a, a congressional so. hearing. The peach but tea, yeah. Gram- Granny's yeah. tea. So I can understand to a certain extent, like, wow, I can't believe we waited this long. But I think even outside of those circumstances, this is essential for the last two episodes of the season because Ben has been separated from our main group, Sans Locke since left behind he has really sort of been out of sight out of mind we needed a reminder of how dangerous he is and so to see ben linus essentially become a psychopath and end with shooting you know one of the main characters and leaving them for dead that really hammers the point home that's going to bear so much fruit in the finale of 
oh yeah, Ben Linus is a lot of danger. And despite what we'd be focusing on with like, who is Naomi or can we trust Jack or when is Charlie going to die? There is a big ass elephant in the room and he is knocking on the door right now. The other thing too is I think it's really important um, at this stage, but to do it now as opposed to have done it sooner because a lot of season three is about like, what are the others really all about? What do they really know? What are they, what, what are they aiming for? Um, you know, with, with Ben specifically, he's such a mystery man and we, we get that he's a liar. We get that he's bad. Um, but I think that this episode is really important for the long arc of Ben, but also for satisfying a lot of where we are with Ben right now to be like, a couple of things can be true at the same time, including that Ben knows more than John Locke, but doesn't know quite as much as he is saying he exactly. knows. And I think this episode really sells us on that idea. And it also sells us on just how pathetic, to use Locke's word, Ben really is, how scared Ben really is, how threatened he really feels and what this, you know, cornered animal is willing to do mm. in the face of these uh, existential threats and literal threats as they're going to come to pass um, in, in, uh, in episodes not far from now. Um, so I think, it's, I think it's really essential to, to get us to a place where Ben is so threatened by somebody who is actively, actually communing with the island in his perspective, though we can still talk about whether or not that's what happened, because I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, the idea of that... Really, we're talking about two men who are both being manipulated by the same agent. Uh, yeah. And the ways in which they react to that manipulation are similar yet different in profound ways. Um, I do think to have this immediately after the brig is really, really important. Gun to my back, Mike. I think that I would pick the brig over the man behind the curtain, but I think that they are both just exceptional episodes. Um, there's so much to talk about here. I'm really, really pumped to dive into all of it. Yeah, I've been really trying to mull over which one I sort of like more as well, because I think the season one lover in me would probably prefer the brig just because, again, I cannot get over how much it finally paid off on weeks and weeks of storylines and was simultaneously able to somehow move the arcs so far forward of of two characters. But man, the audacity of this episode. You know, I know, Josh, you and I debated long ago, like, what is the darkest ending in Lost? This might be one of the darker episodes of Lost. Because even outside of the whole Dharma genocide and shooting Locke, we have, like, Roger Linus being an abusive father. Right. Uh, we even have, you know, the the death of Ben's mother. This is, again, a, someone whose life has been mired in tragedy, maybe not as much bad luck as John Locke, but it's almost beautiful as well in that they are two sides of the same coin. But the thing, how Ben chooses to sort of like weaponize his fury against the world versus Locke is what makes them who they are, and that's what makes them arguably two of the best, or at least, you know, uh, most rife-for-discussion characters that are are on the show. So, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk through it, because a lot of it is so centered on that relationship. I'm, I'm, I'm still going back and forth as to, as to which one I like more, but it really is like splitting hairs. Splitting uh, hairs. It really doesn't matter. These are both perfect episodes as far as I'm concerned, even if they have imperfections in them. Uh, all of the things that are so great about these episodes transcend that stuff, as, as was the case last week. So it is this week. Let, let's get into it. There's so much to talk about, Mike. Uh, the Man Behind the Curtain, directed by Bobby Roth, written by Elizabeth Sarnoff and Drew Goddard, originally aired May 9th, 2007. 
It focuses on the one, the only, artist formerly known as Henry Gale, Benjamin Linus. And we begin uh, We begin with, uh, is this the, the earliest flashback that we ever get for a character? Literally their birth? I mean, I guess we do this with John Locke as well to keep the parallels going. Yeah. I'm trying to, th- yeah, I guess, I guess we have that. I'm trying, to, I mean, we also have, uh, we technically have Jacob and, and the man in black's birth as well. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, so there's a couple of <laughs> people who we see born. And I, I think that there is a Jacob and man in black quality to Locke mm-hmm. and Ben. Uh, so I think, uh, I think that that's really interesting. But we begin with Benjamin Linus being born, uh, uh, Carrie Preston, who plays Emily, who is Michael Emerson's wife. Yeah, this, is, this is 50 Shades of Effed Up. This is close to, uh, they did this in Star Trek Discovery as well, where they had Sinequa Martin-Green's father was played by her husband, Amazing. which is just very odd. The family tree is just gnarled at this point. But yeah, poor Emily in so many ways, but also like, her and Roger Linus were going on a hike, and she's wearing, like, a thick wool sweater that she now has to give birth in. Just, uh, I feel so bad for her in so many ways. Very hot. Uh, very environmentally hot. Uh, John Grease, a.k.a. Uncle Rico, as Roger Workman, a.k.a. Roger Linus, who is here. He's he's uh, begging for Emily to push. You're going to be okay. The baby is born, but there is clearly... Some danger still, as Emily does not look well. Um, you hear Ben's piano theme is playing a little bit in the background. One of the best themes in the the Giacchino au voix. Mike. Yeah, well, well, the great thing, and Jim Fels points this out in his video, is that we've we've heard Ben's theme before, and we're going to keep hearing it. But what Giacchino does with Ben's theme in this episode is that in the flashbacks, the theme, which is usually regarded in a more orchestral value or with, you know, uh, blaring brass, is now done only on piano and strings. And so it's just a great representation of the fact that, at least starting off, Ben is going to be innocent, maybe a bit more pianissimo, a bit quieter. And then as the island begins to corrupt him a bit, that's when that sound builds in that we're used to. Mm, very interesting. I love that. I think that that's great. Uh, Roger's rushing through the woods with Emily. You're supposed to think, because Benjamin Linus has said, uh, I, I was born on the island. And if you walk into this episode knowing that it's a Ben flashback, you're like, okay, we're on the island. And, you know, the environment sells it, right? It's Hawaii, yeah. man. You know, yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I do wonder in terms <laughs> of our locations, because actually, we'll get to it. Uh, the cabin, the location where the cabin is later on, was actually the location where they bury Echo, where he dies, uh, which is actually very interesting when it comes to the smoky of it all. But I do wonder if they just found, like, well, we haven't used this patch yet. And I guess Portland can look kind of jungly sometimes if you're in a verdant enough grove. Yeah. I mean, who knows what it, it could be Portland, Hawaii, Mike? You mm-hmm. know, it could be. I don't know if that exists. I, I get. I, I kind of feel like it probably doesn't. Anyway, so there's a there's a a sign, Portland, 32 miles away. As Roger, Emily, and the newborn babe burst out to the side of the road, a moment straight out of the village, Mike. Uh, and the following occurs. Help! labor she wasn't due yet she's bleeding okay okay look we'll, we'll put her in the car okay, okay? let me get you to the hospital. Oh, oh, oh okay okay honey okay that's all right let's keep her warm all right how's the baby fine i guess i don't know roger roger i'm right here 
Colin Benjamin. Stay with me. Man, yeah, the gut punch. Emily! Oh, no more, no more. She's not watching movies on any flights anytime soon. Uh, yeah, this this moment is always a gut punch, but it's even more a bigger gut punch for me, at least watching it back now, because I will be uh, up front with my anxieties right before becoming a parent. Uh, this was one of my biggest fears, was Angela, like, giving birth and then immediately dying. Maybe I just watched too many pieces of pop culture where that seemingly seems to happen more often than not. And there was actually a moment where, uh, for those of you that don't know, we actually had an emergency C-section to to have Asher. And there was a moment like when, like, right afterwards, her blood pressure, like, dropped for a hot second and she started like screaming and it's just like my world just shut down in that moment and like all my worst fears were coming to life for those two seconds that felt like two minutes so look objectively speaking roger linus is a terrible human being but i did feel for him at least a smidge in this moment, even though he's already showing like his lack of uh, skills as a father by them being like, is, there, is the baby OK? He's like, oh, yeah, I guess. Anyway, focus on my wife, please. Right. I mean, we don't we don't know anything about him from before this moment. And uh, that's not to absolve. Well, Roger. yeah, we do. He, he was trying to be he was making uh, videos of himself throwing a football at a clothesline and uh, outside of his trailer when he gets right. a call from his nephew right. to go help out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, after, after grandma broke her coccyx. So is is Ben uh, related to Napoleon? I would. I it would make some it. sense. Ben Ben fancies himself a bit of a Napoleon. I would think. Yeah, and I would imagine that like maybe Big had Napoleon to- energy, little Napoleon energy. And if they needed, you know, all the polar bears are gone. We need new animals. You could bring in a liger, which is his relative's favorite <laughs> animal. Maybe they like, serve tots in the Dharma cafeteria per his edict. Yeah, I've been pocketing them for the others, for the hostiles. Um, we don't know. We don't know him. You know, I don't know him. We don't know him. We don't know who he is before his his wife dies. We know nothing about them, um, and we we never really find out. And there are moments later on in Lost where we are going to see Roger at least in like slightly more sympathetic light, like when his son nearly dies after Saeed shoots him. Um, So we will see some dimensionality to the character. I'm not trying to say that like, (laughs) let us, you know, open our MVP points for Roger Linus. You know, it's that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is I take that a big piece of this show. A very important piece of this show is about explaining bad behavior, not justifying it, not absolving bad people. You know, Benjamin Linus has a very hard life. That does not excuse the fact that he commits genocide uh, by any stretch of the imagination. (laughs) Right. Um, And, I, you know, Roger Linus goes through an enormous trauma here that doesn't justify how he uh, mistreats his son, uh, the horrible ways in which he speaks to him. Um, but I think, it, I think it explains where he's at when we meet him in the Dharma days. It explains why this man, uh, who, who's suddenly a single father who's lost the love of his life, has succumbed to alcoholism. Um, it doesn't justify it. But it, you know, it Explains makes you think. It. And does it? Do you walk away from this episode feeling like this guy is such a bad dude that he der- deserves to be nerve gassed to death uh, in a van 
on his own, not down by a river, not down by the one creek on the island. Um, but it's it's interesting stuff. I, th- I think that the Roger Linus storyline, specifically as it relates to Ben, and I think as you relate a lot of that stuff to to John and Cooper, uh, I mm-hmm. think um, there's there's a lot of rewarding discourse to be had there. Let's talk about the good speeds of it all, at least the good speed, because this is our intro to Horus. I'm Horus, man. Yeah, not not rocking the dew that we're used to or even the dew that we're going to see later on. But this is not well, let's I, I can't say this is not his wife. This is not Amy Goodspeed. This is not Ethan's mother that we're going to meet in season five. Uh, this is Olivia, played by the actress who plays Daisy in the Super Mario Samantha, Brothers movie. Sam- Samantha Mathis. Uh, which is lovely. I'm assuming that uh, after the island, she just went straight into the Mushroom Kingdom, just hopping from fictional world to fictional world. But this is the that- second podcast this week in which the phrase Mushroom Kingdom has been uttered on Post Show Recaps. All right, well, let's keep going on that bingo card. <laughs> just you remember know, I- that for disco, Mike, if you can drop it. All right, I will make a three for three. So we're going to talk about another missing piece of the Dharma narrative later on with Annie. But Olivia has sort of like been an under-the-radar aspect of it. I think there was like a uh, a fake like behind the mysteries uh featurette or mysteries of the universe were like uh that fake you know in lost universe show where they like apparently olivia and her family left the island at some point and they tried to call her and she refused to talk about her time in the dharma initiative but the weird thing is like they're seen together and i believe in the script she is you know characterized as olivia goodspeed but then obviously when we go to 1977, Horace is not married. So this is a big question mark could with regards to this character. Could be his sister, Mike, you know. Could, yeah, could be. I mean, so I guess my larger question, though, even besides uh, the Olivia mystery, is let's talk about coincidence or fate here. Because we have experienced with the Juliet flashbacks how Richard Alpert just happens to be in the right place at the right time to help these certain people. Do you think... That Horace and Olivia here, are they AOJs? Were they planted to bring the Linus family to the island for whatever reason? Or do you think it was purely right place at the right time? I think given the literal hostilities between the hostels and the Dharma Initiative, it's hard for me to imagine the world in which um, Horace is like actively, knowingly an agent of Jacob at the very least. Um, if he's been pushed in this direction, we see characters get pushed towards things by Jacob. Um, is this just another don't mistake coincidence for fate type of moment? I think I'm more inclined to believe that anything where it's like Horace is actively waiting to be there for the birth of Ben Linus or something like that. It's a, it's a little hard for me to wrap my head exactly mm. around how that would work out. Yeah, I would actually compare it to something like the numbers that we talked about in the uh, the the you know eponymous episode. In that, there are certainly ways in which it's important, but I think m- there are more instances of coincidence in Lost. I think than we realize. I think it's because we're meant to assign meaning to so much, whether it be through Easter leg Easter eggs or thematic Easter legs uh, or, or th- <laughs> thematically speaking, that we're meant to be like, okay, this happened for a reason. This happened because of this. I do think there are some moments genuinely where it's just like, hey, you know, Hurley happens to have these numbers occur in his life. It's not the universe necessarily willing stuff into existence. And I could see here, especially because so the name Linus is on the cave and is a candidate 
in a manner of speaking. Uh, but I could see a thing where it's like, hey, these guys just happen to run into them, and then maybe they, you know, they bring Horus to the island specifically to bring the Linuses to the island. That it was, to your point, less so about like, hey, Horus, go check this out. This is going to be happening at this time. And more so like, oh, I want these people. Let me look at their file, or let me look in the lighthouse. Oh, they, you know, got along with the good speeds. Let me try to get them on board, and then ergo get the Linuses on board. Uh, worth noting, Horus Goodspeed, played by Doug Hutchison. Uh, do you can do your own research on that if you would like often plays an unsavory character well uh, you know we call do we call that being method you know he often plays an unsavory character i think horace is probably like the best guy that i've seen him play as a as an actor yeah not He's, to mention i would also say i mean we're going to get to this much later in season five probably one of the better dharma initiative 70s peeps that we meet you mean in terms of, like, quality of human being? Yeah, at least compared to, like, uh, Phil, you know? Well, Phil, Phil's a turd. Phil's, a, Phil's an outright turd, and Rosinski is is an asshole. Uh, yeah, you know, a lot of the people that we're going to meet in those days, not so great. So just by, you know... Uh, Process of elimination. <laughs> yeah, he, he might be in, like, the, right, the solid midpoint. Um, but he's, he's terrifying in a lot of stuff. He's, he's horrible in the green mile. Um, Mike, I don't know if you know this cause I know that you have not watched a ton of the X files. Uh, but he has an iconic, uh, appearance in an episode of the X files. It's considered one of the very best early episodes of the oh, X files. Does he date like a child alien or something? <laughs> he does some really messed up shit. Uh, okay, all right. I might, I might have to, uh, if, if there ever comes a time that I might want to watch episodes of the X-Files, I might suggest the powers that be to put it on some sort of list, not okay. Jacob's list. Okay, so something to consider for uh, for the future for you, Mike. Um, all right, so in the present, it's Ben Linus. Uh, he's looking at his, uh, the. I know you said wood carvings. These things look like paper mache. Uh, paper yeah, I mean, ma- well, I, I think considering the paper mache volcano that is worked within the classroom, yeah, I can imagine maybe Annie scraped off some material the from that initiative volcano. initiative came to the island to research its unique paper mache qualities. <laughs> uh, the wood and the, the, the mud mixtures and the clay. I don't know how paper mache gets made anymore, folks. I really have no idea what I'm talking about. All I know so is you, you like dip, from watching Mr. Wizard so many times, you just dip newspapers in it and you lay it over and it it's turns been a from tragic, sticky to very hard. It's uh, been a tragic amount of time since I last worked with uh, paper mache, Mike. Uh, so you'll do it sooner than I, I assume, so you'll have to I don't know. I, I don't know. I've, I don't know if paper mache Are we is out? Gone. Are we out on paper yeah, I don't mache? Know. I don't know if it's gone the way of the lost volcano in terms I of, know. I don't know. I don't know if people, people are using like model magic nowadays. I you'll don't be think people are position, using paper mache. This? You'll be in a position to find out sooner than me, so you let me know. Um, but Richard shows up. He's like, hey, what's that? And Ben says, oh, it's an action figure. I collect action figures. Ben says, it's a birthday present. Remember birthdays, Richard? And everyone's like, oh, what does that mean? I don't understand why he's saying And then obviously it's like, oh, it's because this dude is is 200 years old. Yeah, and then of course we get a nice little uh, unintentionally sitcom-esque trope here with like, uh, oh, do, can you give me the tape recorder? Wait a minute. I thought you had the tape recorder. No, you had it. So someone swiped the tape recorder, but there's really no time to process that because here comes Johnny Boy. We listened to this sound at the start of the episode. Locke shows up, dead dad, on his back, as promised. Tell me everything. He says, why don't you start at the beginning? And we get that death glare and slam to the title. A uh, really strong opening to the episode. Yeah, and the strength is going to continue here. Let's get into sound number one, Josh. As sound this is, two. 
or sound two. Uh, oh yeah, sound two. I didn't even. I guess I wasn't counting Emily dying because it was so traumatic in yeah. my brain. Uh, it's still number one in my heart because this is one of the number one dynamics in Lost. This is a lot of Locke and Ben in this episode, and now that Locke sort of has a new spring in his step, as it were, he's going to really, really dress down Ben considering their last encounter. I know I promised to tell you everything, John. And I wish it was as simple as me taking out a dusty old book and opening it up. But it's not that simple. How about you just tell me? You probably think I'm the leader of this little community. But that's not entirely true. We all answer to someone, John. And who might that be? His name is Jacob. Okay, then. Take me to Jacob. I can't do that. Where are you going? Hell, Ben, if you don't want to take me, maybe someone else will. I'll just go and ask Richard. Why would Richard take you? He doesn't know where Jacob is. He doesn't talk to Jacob. Well, who talks to him? I do. Well, you're the only one who talks to him. That's right. And no one else knows where he is? I was born here on this island. I'm one of the last that was. Most of these people you see, I brought them here. So Jacob talks to me, John. He tells me what to do. Trusts me. And no one else has ever seen him. That's right. How convenient. You know what I think, Ben? I think there is no Jacob. I think your people are idiots if they believe you take orders from someone else. You are the man behind the curtain. The Wizard of Oz. And you're a liar. And what might you base that theory on, John? Because if you were telling the truth, your hand wouldn't be shaking. So there's there's so much great stuff to get into here, Josh, but I actually want to start at the beginning, as Locke would say. Something I picked on this time that I never did before was the fact that you hear it in the first few seconds. Ben pours Locke a drink, and I think it's especially meaningful in the wake of Anthony Cooper's death. Because for me, I know that we had recently experienced the whole Winmore Desmond thing, but the first thing I think of when Ben does that is what Anthony Cooper does in Deus Ex Machina. Yeah. Of like the, oh, would you like some scotch? And that really, you know, I think that's that's sort of a sense memory for Locke. And you can see that in Terry O'Quinn's face. And he's um, not, and he doesn't take him up on it. Yeah, exactly. And so that, I think that really proves the new attitude that, that Locke has taken up. And I think Anthony that's another- Cooper's dead, you know? We're not falling for that shit again. Last time I <laughs> fell for that shit, I felt eight stories out a window. And lost a kidney. And that's one reason, I think- evocative of why Locke comes so hard at Ben right now is because he feels invincible. He defeated the boogeyman. He defeated the con man. And now he feels like he spotted another one and says, this is the next pin that needs not to be standing won. for it anymore. Yeah. You know, he's, he's done with that. And I, I think that that's totally right. I think that that is a big, you know, you see that energy at the end of the brig and he's carried that on his back with his dead dad right into this tent. Uh, in in these uh, in these scenes with Ben and, and and very very powerful that dynamic of Locke realizing um, and seeing straight through Ben and for once like very accurately assessing this guy um, you know there there are moments in this episode where he does have the upper hand on Ben because he's finally kind of willing to play this Ben's way 
Right. Uh, and he's kind of willing to fight fire with fire here in terms of like, um, this is a guy who's just posturing. Well, I'll posture back. And the difference between me and him is I've got the island on my side because he fully believes that. And he fully believes that Ben is full of shit. And he's not totally wrong. Um, my question for you, Mike, is, um, you know, so Ben articulates like there's a guy named Jacob. He's in charge. Richard doesn't know where Jacob is. He doesn't talk to him. That's a lie. Yeah. Um, ben says, I'm the one who talks to Jacob. That's a lie. I was born here. That's a lie. Uh, unless you want to say he was metaphorically born here, but that's a stretch at the at the best. Yeah, I mean, I, f- I feel like Ben going back on his word at, later in the episode and saying, like, I lied about that shows that, like, he's not necessarily twisting the words here. And I think, you know, I don't know if the larger question that you're you're getting to is, like, how much of this is a lie? I feel like the choice to show us where Ben is born and then go into this scene is led to make us believe that this entire thing is a lie. Uh, because we know for a fact that that is the one thing he's lying about. Even if we sure. don't know anything about Jacob, then it's like, okay, then we must assume the rest of this I is think a it's, lie. It's, I think it's very clearly all a lie, but I want to put that in uh, in conversation with what Locke's assessment is. He says, you're the man behind the curtain. You're the Wizard of Oz. You're a liar. Uh, and people are idiots if they believe that you're taking orders from anyone else. That's the part that I'd like to interrogate, Mike. How much do you think that Benjamin Linus is just acting with impunity versus him being in conversation with Jacob via Richard Alpert, who we know through future events in this series, does have a relationship with Jacob, has been anointed Jacob's consigliere, that he's the guy who speaks for Jacob? Um, How much do you think Ben's moves are entirely of Ben's making and him just making the calls, making like calling the shots and doing the things that he, Ben Linus, wants to do versus taking marching orders from Richard when Richard comes to Ben and says, Jacob told me to tell you to do this. So I'd like to believe the former because I do think and there are certainly, I think, parts of the latter. I would love to get into later on who we think the idea for the purge came from uh whether it was ben whether it was richard or whether it was jacob himself because the latter then brings into the larger question about the jacob character uh like okay who is uh you know is this man truly all good is it more complicated than that but i really do feel like knowing what we know about ben it is extremely easy for him to excuse someone doing something very vile as well jacob said you should do it like he's he's more than happy to invoke that name when it really isn't the case whatsoever it's it's like the equivalent of like the the corporate hierarchy where there's a ceo and then there's a manager and the manager might occasionally refer to the ceo with certain circumstances but then the manager would be like all right i think i have enough individuality here where i can act on behalf of the ceo's wishes maybe not verbally but be able to make decisions that i feel like will be for the general betterment of this company in particular and that's what i feel like ben's doing in like the world's worst manager way yeah i kind of feel like uh you know so charles widmore is in charge at the time of the uh the purge right i'm pretty sure that that's correct um so it makes me think that like these people make their calls uh that they make the choices to to do things and then like richard like runs it up the flagpole with jacob and he's like okay so here are the minutes here's the meeting so yeah so i feel like this is one that you probably need to be bothered with uh 
Charles Widmore and the rest of the the guys are thinking that they're going to murder the Dharma Initiative. Are you cool with that? I, like, I mean, if that's what you guys want to do. You know, yeah. I think that that's sort of like the moral ambivalence that Jacob plays with, where he's probably like, ah, I mean, it's something I would do. But like, if you guys are going to do it, you know, uh, you're just one man to stop him, Richard. I think you just uh, go with the flow and see how that rolls. You know, mm. like that sort of seems to be Jacob's MO, which is why when he gets to, you know, when Ben kills him, Eventually, he's just like, now, what are you going to do about it? (laughs) Yeah. What about you? Uh, Well, and and so I looked up something as well. You know, obviously, Locke is and the title is referencing the Wizard of Oz. But there's actually the man behind the curtain also comes from another piece of pop culture. I'm going to butcher this name. So apologies in advance. Uh, Das Testament des de. Uh, de Dr. Mabuse. I think it's a German film, a 1933 film by Fritz Lang. And the Dr. Mabuse that's referring to is an insane criminal mastermind and a hypnotist who only talks to people with from his crew through a curtain. I, I believe there's actually a line that's like, you know, uh, who is this man behind the curtain? And I do think actually that probably applies to Ben much more than The Wizard of Oz, right? The Wizard of Oz is much more whimsical. He seems like more of like a fuddy-duddy who presents being like this this big green head, but is really just a regular man. Whereas I feel like Ben has that capacity, like you're saying, but what he actually does is much more like this guy of like, yeah, I'm going to be the big giant head, but the big giant head is going to be like, hey, kill the Wicked Witch to the west and then cut her head off roll it down a hill show it to her sister and then dance on her grave that's a lot that's dark this episode gets me in a mood josh it gets gets you in a real mood for sure Uh, but i think like in in ben's mind like he's panicked i don't think he thought that Locke was coming back i didn't think that he thought that Locke would actually do it i i I think this entire episode is Ben pivoting. This is Ben trying to think on his feet Thinking right now. on his feet and, like, being like, yeah, and so, uh, you know, Locke is like, I'll go talk to Richard. And Ben's like, no, I can't have him talking to Richard. Exactly. Because if he talks to Richard, he may get access to Jacob because Richard's got access to Jacob. So I got to control the narrative. And so I know that one of the questions uh, of this episode, uh, and I, I haven't looked at the feedback yet, so I don't know if we got this in feedback, but I would anticipate that we did, is, like, at what point does Ben decide that he's going to shoot John Locke and leave him for dead? I don't know if it's right here, but certainly in this moment, he's starting to understand he really has a Locke problem, uh, Mm -hmm. to put it in Jack's (laughs) words. like He's got a bad situation here, because if he's not going to be able to convince Locke that there is a Jacob uh, on display, uh, then... This is gonna get this is gonna get troubling very 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 quickly, and I know that there's a mm. lot in that realm, spe- specifically with the cabin. Um, yeah, that, absolutely. That we have to yeah, because I because I would personally say we're gonna get to it. I think that moment comes after the cabin, not even after the whole thing in the chair, Clint Eastwood style, but I think after the cabin shakes <laughs> and 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 Ben realizes that oh, there's a chance that Locke might actually be able right. to see something that I can. I think that's when he gets trigger happy, personally. I wonder if he was talking to Jacob back then. Um, all right, so flashback. The lionesses are here. The lionesses are here. Uh, they've arrived on the island. And Horace is like, ah, oh, you guys did it. Namaste, dude. Uh, and he's so thrilled. And he's going to give Ben a little something to eat. He's got some, I got some lunch for you, Ben. And it's like, Ben, don't. 
Don't go with them. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, and it's interesting. You know, there's again another comparison between Ben and Locke here, where Ben, we baby Ben Linus, we barely hear him speak for the vast majority of these flashbacks. Horace says, you know, uh, I bet I bet he'll say something when he has something to say, which is really a big parallel. I know we don't like to think about further instructions, but it's very similar to what Boone tells Locke, right? Of like, can't talk right now. When you have something to say, you'll be able to talk. It's it's a yeah. similar idea of the island giving someone their voice, whether they're 10 years old or in their 40s. Yeah. Uh, so we see some orientation stuff. Pierre Chang, he's talking to Yeah, and to with like employees. a nice little Magnum P.I. outdoor shirt. Looking good. Uh, we hear about the diverse wildlife. Roger Linus doesn't like the sound of that. He likes even less the job that he's about to be granted. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, Ben's just looking around, looking at everything, and there she is. There's little Annie, little orphan Annie. Oh, with hopefully her, not orphan. With her Apollo bar. She's All right. Oh, here's her Apollo bar. Do we have any major Annie theories, yes. Mike? Because Annie is going to be in this episode, and then I believe never again. Yes, and there's a couple things about that. So uh, getting into some stuff. So Ben Martell, uh, the Ben behind the curtain that makes up uh, the you know eponymous title behind this podcast, in the official Lost podcast, they sort of said, I think Carlton Cuse said, you know, Annie's going to prove to be very significant in Ben's life. They sort of retconned that by the time season six comes around of, oh, no, we just meant that it was a important relationship in his life. I think Michael Emerson was was on the record saying that he thought that not bringing Annie back was one of the only regrets of his across Lost. So apparently people have discerned that Annie left the island with her family at some point. But, Josh, I have two theories. I have a dark theory. And I have a darker theory. Oh, wow. Which which one would you like to hear first? I think you got to, uh, we have to escalate, right? So I'll start with a light one. How about I give you a light one? All right. So let me, I'll mix in a little bit of milk in this coffee here. Uh, but yeah, so so the the, the regular old plain dark well, one Well, let is, me give you a light one first so that we can build. Let's yeah, build. All right. Uh, uh, it's time traveling Libby, you know? Uh, what? So she, she was... She was on the island as a little kid, and then she time traveled. I'm just kidding. Just go with it. Oh my god! Uh, so my so my initial idea, the lighter one, is that you know Ben and Erin carried on, maybe even from like you know uh, stemming some romantic coals there. But Annie found out about Ben's involvement with the hostiles and this plan for this upcoming purge, uh, and you know furious at him over it, considering she is someone who has been conditioned to believe that the hostiles are. For lack of a better term, hostile. Uh, she breaks things off and like tragically leaves the island, being done with the Dharma Initiative because the only thing that kept her tethered to that island emotionally has betrayed her. Okay. The Interesting. darker ending is that the same situation happens and Ben is forced to kill Annie. And yeah. the first blood that Ben gets on his hands is not his father's, but the only woman he's ever had an emotional connection with up to this point until Julia Burke comes into his that life. This is like part of the sacrifice that he makes, that it's like, you're going to kill everybody, you have to kill Annie too. Uh, like, we're not going to accept her into the others. She's got to go as well. Yeah, because, I mean, it's a large jump, not literally between, you know, actor portrayals, but in age between the Ben Linus we see timidly talking to Richard Alpert and the Ben Linus who's just like, all right, let me gas my dad sitting next to him in a van. So you have to wonder, and we never really talk about how he gets to that point. A lot of it happens off screen. I could imagine this might be sort of a, a step in it, sort of like the Breaking Bad, you know, maybe, uh, maybe... Uh, Annie's sort of like the crazy eight. You know, she's not one of the big bads, but she was a necessary death for the uh, downward journey or journey, certainly, of Benjamin Linus to the point where he decides to muster up the courage to kill his father. Yeah, I think uh, there's certainly like 
since we don't know, we can just headcanon that all we want. I don't think it's it's nothing is beneath the man who commits genocide and wipes out the Dharma Initiative. Yeah, because well, because I think again that comes from him. Granted, it's a little bit of vengeance uh, on behalf of killing Roger specifically, but the rest of it was for this idea of a greater cause. And I could certainly imagine Ben feeling that way, and that might be the first sign that he is totally willing to divorce emotional relationships, or at least he perceives it that much, to make quote-unquote logical decisions. And so, again, it would be dark as all get out, but I think there also is some poetry in maybe arguably the first person Ben ever loved he killed her, much right. like if you ask someone, he killed his mother as well. That Ben House sort of has this curse of killing those that are in his immediate and circle. And like maybe that, like you, you know, it's what what Sawyer says. You hit a dog uh, after a certain point; it thinks it did something to deserve it. And so, like you know, Ben is constantly getting reinforced this idea: you killed your mom, you killed your mom, you killed your mom. That maybe at a certain point, he's like, I. I'm I'm just a killer. So what's one more? You know yeah. what's a, what's a hundred more? Let me, let um, me become the man that I was led to believe I was for so many years of my life. And then there's other pieces, of course, that are in play. Uh, certainly, that you know uh, when he gets shot by Saeed and Albert's going to take him to the temple, and he's going to say he'll never be the same. We yeah. don't really know exactly what that looks like, other than we've seen. Uh, or, yeah, we're or, assuming it's sort of like a Saeed esque treatment, where maybe he yeah, gets there's like in those the implication waters. that that's something that can happen. We don't really know. You know, I don't think about that stuff too much, to be completely honest with you. Uh, but like that's in play. So um, yeah, I think I think something dark happening to Annie feels right. Luckily, we never know. I don't think that we really need to know. Um, but you know, it's, she's nice. She's trying to show it like, here's an Apollo bar. You're the new kid. Yeah. You she's can have friends. Here. She's the best part of the welcome wagon considering that she probably had the hardest job in bringing this quiet, demure kid into everything. And it seems like not only does she do that after the first day, like she's with him for a very long time. And he is, that certainly makes him acclimate to the island better than his father, who is just so belligerent at the idea of becoming Roger Workman. Yeah. All right, so back at 815, Sawyer, fresh from the brig, no shoes, chilling in the bushes, looking at everybody in the beach. Did waiting. you um, did you pick on a pick up on the Hurley and Desmond conversation by chance? No. They're they're chatting about haggis. <laughs> <laughs> and, Des- and Desmond's like, I could actually go for some haggis right now. That's it's like, what amazing. a weird conversation. <laughs> you know, again, you and I are Survivor fans. You always wonder what are the conversations they have when we don't necessarily see in the edit. This feels That's like it. one of those conversations yeah. of like when they're not talking about the others and all the to do over at 815. They're just talking about what they miss from back home. And Charlie's like, oh, it just so happens I know where to find a mason jar filled with haggis. Just exactly. follow me. And I'll uh, trade you haggis for banoffee pie. Um, points to Sawyer for knowing who to wait for, and yeah. points once again for Saeed being the go-to guy. Uh, Sawyer's waiting for Saeed. He's like, hey, so I was just with Locke. He's not coming back. Doesn't really matter, because he gave me this, and you're the person that I trust. You, the man who stuck <laughs> bamboo shoots in my <laughs> fingertips, are the person that I am trusting with this information right now. And I also love Sawyer sort of like yada yadding when knowing that Saeed's going to have so many questions of like, where's Locke? He just goes, don't ask me where the hell he is because it don't matter right now. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, so I love that. Uh, Sawyer and Saeed this season have been fun in the scenes that they've had together. Um, meanwhile, in the jungle, here comes Mikhail uh, screaming his head off for Ben. Uh, and Ben's like, oh, I thought you were dead. 
And yeah. Mikhail says, oh, yeah, well, good thing the fence wasn't turned up all the way. That would have been real bad. So here's the thing. I think slowly more and more as we discuss this, my theory of him being smoky is unraveling. But I think I've always based my idea about this behind this specific exchange. Okay. Because I feel like the look that Ben gives Mikhail I think he's got to think there might be a chance he's the smoke monster. And so that makes me believe there's a chance he could be the smoke monster. So I I don't think – I think it's actually probably pretty important to the read of Ben and his relationship to the smoke monster and the fact that he ultimately gets conned so hard by the smoke monster that I think it's probably pretty important that he is not aware – of the full extent of the smoke monster's capabilities. Because I think that Ben looks at the smoke monster as something of like a pet, right? Like an mm. like a weapon to summon because he's going to do that in the shape of things to come. It's going to arrive at his beck and call. I think if he understands um, what the smoke monster can really do, then I think that his reaction to what happens in the cabin might be a little bit different. Um, you know, you get the sense that he he like authentically believes maybe that that is where Jacob typically hangs out, whether if that was like, Albert one day showed him like, yeah, that's Jacob's house. Yeah, you know, <laughs> oh, he's yeah, there sometimes. Jacob lives there, sure. Like, you know, like stuff like that. And and so like I think for him, if if that's part of the argument that um he's looking at Mikhail and thinking like, oh, that might be the smoke monster. And I think especially with the way that he treats Mikhail in the looking glass station mm. when they're talking over the radio, it just doesn't track for me. I, uh, I don't know. There's just something about Michael Emerson's read of I thought you were dead. I'm just trying to dig into like how, why he read it that way. You know, I feel like there's something in there where there's some gears turning in his head. And to your point, I think you make some very salient points that there's a, I think there's a good chance that he is ignorant to maybe not necessarily the smoke monster, but like what the true extent of the man in black's power. But I just love to get into that brain of Ben Linus is and figure out what he's thinking when Mikhail walks back in. Yeah, but he sees Mikhail and Mikhail's like, all right, so there's a helicopter crash. He's also got, like, he hates John Locke, and John Locke is not a huge fan either. I mean, John uh, Locke was the one that pushed him through the fence. <laughs> yeah, not not a huge fan. But he's, like, giving the update. So Naomi's here. Uh, and, and so he's basically uh, saying, like, hey, let's uh, let's speed up the— Yeah, uh, we got to speed this thing up. We yeah, got we, we to gotta push things along. Yeah, we the, pro- t- the project has a pushed-up deadline. She's uh, got a radio phone thingy. Uh, we want to work on this, and— uh, He's like, I want to, I want to go, let's go right now. And Locke's like, oh, well, Ben won't be available for that because he's taking me to see Jacob. And everybody's like, uh, excuse me? Yep. And there's not really any follow up for that because then we're immediately treated to Mikhail just really like digging into Locke as an outsider, which Locke promptly cuts off by kicking the crap. Just kicking the shit out of him. And, just now, takes and now we him have down. second episode in a row, Josh. We have some other gawkers. They just, including Tom Friendly and Richard, just stand around and watch it happen. They're just standing around watching it happen. And I think for, for Richard, especially, um, you know, one thing that I think, like, if they knew the full extent of Richard's story at this point, I don't think that they do. Um, I think that it's not supremely in character that Richard doesn't, like, send people to go after, uh, you know, Ben and Locke mm-hmm. to, like, peep on what's about to happen. Yeah, like, oh, I you're think- going to see Jacob? Let me, uh, or at least tip off Jacob ahead of time. I'm like, hey, just so you know, apparently Ben's, quote unquote, taking Locke to see you. 
Yeah, I think like him to at least have some eyes on it, whether it's his own or somebody he trusts to like, you know, follow from a distance feels unlikely to me. But again, I, I don't think that the show totally knows the deal with Richard at this point. Um, so there's only so much retconning you can do. But if you are retconning, then you can imagine like the Richard that we know through the duration of the show, what his reaction is to this right now is like, oh, interesting. How's this going to play out? Because I know that Ben doesn't talk to Jacob, but nobody yeah. else probably does, right? Everybody else, because Ben is just the cock of the walk, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah I talked to Jacob. Yeah, exactly. Ben is someone who has invoked Jacob's name many times, so it feels like more of like a, ooh, he's going to Jacob. And yeah. Richard's and more, can, oh, he's going can, to Jacob. He's going to, he got it from Jacob's. You know, he, you get the, you can, you he can went to imagine, Jacob's. <laughs> yeah, you can, ima- you can imagine the world in which in one of those clandestine meetings under the statue when Richard goes and hangs out with Jacob. Yeah, and when Jacob he's in the goes, shadow of the fourth toad statue. Yeah, Jacob goes, hey, Ricky, what's going on? He's like, hey, so yeah, this new guy who's in charge is a real piece of work. He's just running around saying, you told him to do this, you told him to do that. And clearly, unless you're talking to him, no, I'm not talking to him. Well, then if you're not talking to him, like he's just like sort of invoking your name and doing some messed up shit. What do you want me to do about it? He's like, uh, see how it plays out, you know? Uh. Yeah, essentially what Ben's doing is creating, like, Jacob has a verified Twitter account. Ben has made, like, an account that is trying to impersonate Jacob, posting things. He's like, as long as it's nothing offensive, I'm fine. No. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Ben has a verified Twitter account, and he is desecrating the rule of law. <laughs> you know? He's like, you know... Ban and, him, and, Jacob! Ban him! And at this point, uh, the others don't aren't slapping uh, his, his missives with this claim has been disputed. <laughs> You know, but that's effectively what's going on with with Ben. So I think Richard's uh, reaction to it, I think, is 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 very very fun um, in light of that. And I just I just love Locke beating the shit out of Mikhail and then looking at Ben. So when do we leave? Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, that little that little disturbance is taken care of. Uh, should I wash off my hands in the one stream and then we can keep going? Yeah. So they're by the creek. I think it's a different creek. You think so? Maybe it was just the same creek from a different angle. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they really do just have the one, don't they? So uh, uh, it's really funny how Ben's like, you probably didn't have to beat the shit out of Mikhail. And Locke's like, oh, no, I definitely had to beat the shit out of Mikhail. It felt really, really good. Yeah, you weren't you weren't there at the pylons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alex comes by, hooks up Locke with a handgun. Where you're going, you're going to need this. Because yeah. she probably doesn't trust her dad, too. She's like, yeah, this guy, like... He, he he's full of hot air, so if he's telling you he's taking you to see Jacob, it's probably going to be dangerous, and I don't want you to die, and yeah. uh, my and dad on, sucks. And, and on paper, I think, had Locke known more about Alex, I think maybe things would have ended differently, at least this episode would have, because, yeah, Alex is sending him a very clear warning sign, watch your back, and I think maybe Locke takes it like, initially... literally, yeah. watch your back. And Locke, and Locke, I think, takes it initially to be like, oh, I guess, you know, there might be some dangerous stuff around Jacob. But spooky, no, the most, spooky stuff. The yeah. most dangerous person is right next to you right now, and Alex knows that, though at least she wishes... She's the only one to wish her dad a happy birthday without being prompted about it. Happy birthday, Dad, uh, right in front of Locke, and Locke pointedly does not wish Ben a happy birthday um in the past flashback time school uh and uh here's princess daisy giving a lesson about the volcano that's on this island that we never see yeah um, uh, so no those, volcano so those that that might not know uh, yes. it was in the end game plot of lost for a while that a, a volcano the volcano i suppose was going to erupt 
once more. Uh, that ends up getting nixed by ABC down the line, but I can imagine either it was still in the cards, hence the foreshadowing in this episode, or maybe it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek reference to a plot point once upon a time. Yeah, and well, I, I think... Uh, why, is there a big volcano in Once Upon a Time? No, no I don't believe... You know what? Knowing Once Upon a Time, why the hell not? If they, if they, You know what? Actually, if Once Upon a Time lasted long enough to do a Moana arc, there would have definitely been a volcano There in you there. go. Um, I, I think like, so, so yeah, the idea was that the show was going to culminate in the volcano's eruption. Um, I think a lot of what they're aiming for with that idea of just like destruction on the island, they're effectively able to accomplish with the heart of the island and with there's, there's enough shakes there. Yeah. We don't need no volcano. So, you know, they don't, they don't quite get it, uh, less magma than they probably would have liked. Uh, but they're able to, to effectively accomplish the same thing. Um, alarms are sounding. Uh, Olivia, the teacher, suddenly armed with a rifle. Uh, it's starting to sound pretty bad out there. Everybody's very nonchalant about it. Yeah, this is like, this is ugh, oof when you're Hard watching watch, this in 2020. Uh, is, what, is what I'll say, uh, this scene. Yeah, but I mean, it's also showing the, the normalcy for the island. When we, we hear about the hostiles, we're going to hear a lot more about it uh and you know we hear it from the adults perspective as well as that night roger is complaining to horace about you know how he had a skirmish with the hostiles horace just very calmly refers to them as the natives uh actually in a cut part of the script because i took a look at a bit of the script today which we'll get to later on apparently there's a mention of radzinski that roger was actually with radzinski when the hostiles opened fire with him but roger's trying to get a little bit of a bump on his paycheck for some hazard pay here he's looking for it uh so uh, it's just the hostels. We'll be okay. Um, later that night, Roger is reading Horace for filth. Uh, I didn't know that there were hostels here while Ben's just chilling in his room with his pet bunny. Look, this was he was always a bunny man, Ben Linus. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we'll talk about the bunny in a minute because I got some questions about the bunny. Yeah, I mean, uh, also, uh, I mean, I would say like, oh, he goes he goes a long way to saying that he killed a bunny, but he also does let the bunny near the sonic fence to test whether or not it would kill that's him. That's what I'm so. saying, dude. This and I don't think that he had been taken through the temple yet. Maybe I guess it's not impossible that timeline wise, this is after he's been shot by Saeed. We don't really know. Shot. Um, but man, if not, then that dude was willing to just kill a bunny. <laughs> yeah, again, so it's, it's that thing where, again, you could say that Ben Linus was conditioned way. by the island, but I think a little bit of it is nature, to your point. Like, I don't think it came from nowhere. I do think there maybe was, like, a seed of evil within this child. He was gonna, he was gonna sonar fence the bunny! Put the bunny down! Do you think Put the bunny down! Do you think the bunnies uh, are native to this island, or do you think this is, like, a pet that Ben brought with him? Yeah, I don't know. If it was his pet bunny that he was willing to let go in this moment. Um, but speaking of things that they brought with him, I think that this is a good time to bring it up. Um, so Ben's overhearing everything that's going on with, between his dad and Horace, and then he sees in the window um, his mother. We see mm-hmm. Carrie Preston. We see Emily Linus. Um, and so I think, for me, there's very little question that the Emily apparitions he sees on uh, the island in this episode are smoky. Um, I think that that is for sure for me. So I'll, I'll ask you a couple of things. One, do you have another interpretation of it uh, than I do? And then two, since we know that the rules of the smoke monster taking on the form of dead people is that like bodies have to be on the island traditionally. Mm. Um, is it is it how, how does that go down in this case? Is it as simple as. Uh, Roger and Ben are moving to the island, presumably permanently or at least long term. And so they're bringing Emily's ashes with them. And is that enough mm. to, to imitate her body? Cause I would, 
I would see no reason why that would not be enough. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think there is, there could be an argument. I think it actually comes back to the, to the horse, honestly, from what Kate did. As things often do. Comes right back to the, to the black horse and the cherry tree. Uh, in that, you know, I think, if you prognosticate that that is the island, because previously I think we'd said that the island can talk to people in the form of dreams, right? Like when uh, Yemi tells Echo to go find the question mark, I think we had discussed whether or not that was the smoke monster or Jacob and this fact that maybe Jacob can talk to people, but it's more so through this idea of like visions and dreams, whereas the smoke monster can just appear in conscious form directly in front of you. So there, there might be an opportunity, especially if Jacob is, is looking to sort of like get Ben for some reason. Kind of, It's kind of effed up for people to like, let me appear as your dead mom to get you to step out into the jungle to meet Richard Alpert. But Jacob works in mysterious ways. I personally like it being the smoke monster, again, because I love the smoke monster as this agent of chaos and also like just the pure effed up aspect of I'm going to appear as your dead mother to really get in your head does sound like a manipulation tactic from the smoke monster. But that being said, that opens up a lot of questions. I feel like I don't know. I, I know that there is the rule about the dead body. Could they could we bend the rules a bit to be like. What if, you know, Roger Linus is constantly out there in the jungle? What if somehow the smoke monster was able to, like, you know, encounter Roger Linus, take get, his memories, take, something yeah, scan like that. his memories, see Emily, and well, then, then take the I, form I of think Emily? It, the, the only reason why I, I resist that, and I think it's an important one, is like the heavy significance that's placed on bringing John Locke's body back to the island. That's I think true. That, that, that's really it for me, is that, like, why go through all that trouble? If that's not the way to do it, because yeah. all you needed was all of these other people to come back and you could just pull John Locke's memory uh, from somebody and be John Locke again. Yeah, though, I guess maybe he wanted to present this idea of like Locke came back to life. And so maybe that would cause someone like Ben to join up with him the, more and kill Jacob. The one that's most defiant is uh, in Abiturno when um, Richard's wife shows yeah, up. Isabella. And I'm not talking about as the ghost. I'm talking about on the ship. Um, but maybe I don't know. Albert like pocketed some hair. I don't so you know. think it's just like a DNA thing? That it's like, let me just take a piece of DNA and build a yeah, person. He just, needs, he just needs a little bit. That's Boom! Good. Dead wap DNA. <laughs> let me just hold on. Let me just quickly take her appendix before I get shipped across the sea. I can see Roger uh, Lyons being like, "Oh, that's going to make a buttload of money on the black right, market." Like, on this in, in, in addition to Count Jacula needing to make an appearance in the Abiturno podcast, uh, we have to remember that Richard is traveling with his wife's appendix in yeah. his pocket yeah. uh, uh, holds a lot of uh, meaning back in you know back in the canary islands like that ben martell the ben behind the curtain i hope that you're writing this down these are very important notes for us to remember when we reach the abiturno so, podcast so the other thing is if this is indeed smoky another thing that it always <laughs> comes back to is the damn sonic weapon the yeah, sonar maybe ben, maybe ben had his mom's appendix in a jar i don't know he i mean listen some... we know how weird ben linus is i mean listen <laughs> jacob's cabin has a bunch of like jarred stuff on the walls maybe that's various yeah. people's appendixes uh maybe he never lost his umbilical cord i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he kept it. I don't know. Or maybe it's like your mom, you're, you are part your mother. So the mother, your know. mom is always around. But the other, so the know. other thing is obviously that we talked about this, this weird idea that there's this sonar fence that apparently blocks Smokey out. We make a concerted effort to go back to this fence multiple times in this episode. 
unless someone was a doof and left the the fence down, if this is indeed Smokey, how could he get in there and appear next to the window right. to spook so two, Baby Two Linus? possibilities. We we know that there are a bunch of doofs out there, especially if we're in like the Phil era. So Phil probably <laughs> just forgot to turn on the fence. Uh, like that's a that's a world that could occur. And if there or was I, like I a hot- maybe it was Horace because he's again seems like a total airhead. Like oh man, oh, to- my bad, I totally forgot, dude. Could have been could have been that since there was a hostile incursion that the fence was down for a time and Smokey snuck in at that point and now for however long until the the fence goes back he's just chilling in Dharmaville. Could it he's be like, that maybe maybe that's why he disappears so fast is because like oh crap it's closing up again I don't want to be trapped in here. Exactly like there could be that he's just running around like ghost pranking a bunch of people uh like you know he's like uh he's He's like Rosinski's childhood bu- bully that he killed that is on the island what? or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Did Rosinski Farkas, his childhood yeah, bully? and brought his body with him to the island. Uh, you know, like maybe he's just like running around pranking people in, in Dharmaville because the hostile incursion happened. The fence was down, and so he was able to do it that way. Who knows? Um, but, but I do like this idea. There, you know, we, we have talked about like, does this thing really work? You know, I think that we we have yeah. like there there is some season six evidence that is, suggests is it, is it, it does. Is it a placebo? Yeah, exactly. But I, I do also you know is it sort of like the uh, the pearl station right where like you think things are going somewhere but it turns out to not be going anywhere. But I also like Smokey for thematic reasons too. In that you know we're going to talk. I think even coming up in this episode about the man in black role with John Locke. We talked about this with the cost of living of like how he reads John Locke as someone to possibly manipulate down the line. This is talked about in Abiturno as well. I could see a situation happen here too, where the man in black is like, Oh, this is a young susceptible child. And I sense fear and anger and hatred in his heart. This is someone I could have a lot of fun with. A million percent. And I think that like that only becomes the more powerful when time travelers get thrown into the mix and the man in black's like, wait, who are all these people? Uh, oh my god like okay so there's there's an opening that's clearly happening there's some destiny stuff i just got to be patient for like another couple of decades and it looks like we might have very 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 patient you know and so i i think that uh this this episode for me since we know that john locke's death comes about by uh you know manipulations from the man in black that ben killing john locke and then killing jacob especially killing jacob especially is very much of the manipulation of the man in black. So mm-hmm. both of these people are going to uh, fatal things are going to happen from the from the from the, uh, the 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 puppet strings of the man in black. So I think to to read all of it as these two people being victims uh, and, and victims is a, is you know a, a word that we could debate in in certain aspects of their characters. But these two people having their actions pushed into into play in large part um, by the same entity, I think makes their relationship together a lot more powerful. So, you know, we're, we're not even talking about the cabin stuff yet, but I think, like, for me, that's unequivocally the smoke monster. Yes. But I, th- I think here as well, for Smokey to be sizing up this kid, like, you could be useful. If nothing else, I'm bored, you know? Um, but you could be useful someday. Like, if, if, if the smoke monster is lurking around as a ghost uh, outside of uh, the Linus household, 
probably catching wind of the fact that like, oh, this kid's dad's a dick bag. I think I could probably fill that role. I think I could probably do some stuff here. Yeah, so I agree. I think that, you know, there is some rich stuff with Ben and Jacob as well. And with Albert. Yeah, but but there's something much more delicious about the fact that these two guys are, whether in their child or adult life, are being, you know, manipulated by this presence. And I agree that the word victim is weird because victim victim almost assumes non-culpability and both Ben and Locke are very guilty of doing many, many bad things. But I feel like victim has to be a proper word to use, right? Because like they're not doing it. They're, they're doing it maybe with, with different intentions than I'm helping this malevolently evil force accomplish something. Yeah. And, you know, especially also for this kid, he's a kid right now, you know? Uh, there's there's a lot of life for him to live, and he's going to make a lot of bad choices. But right now, he's just a kid. Um, all right, so that's what's going on. Spooky, spooky. Back at the beach, uh, Said and Sawyer, they're looking for Juliet, and Kate's like, I don't know where she is. Uh, and she's with Jack, I think. What's going on here anyway? Uh, and and so Said's just getting kind of annoyed with Kate for like, oh, you told Jack? Why would you tell Jack? He's like, you know, I just told Jack. What do you want me to do? And he's like, well, here's what I wanted. Sawyer, play the tape. So Sawyer plays the tape. But only uh, play part of it. Just play a little bit. Just play side A. Side B, we need to save for later. Um, ben and Locke hanging around. Uh, and Ben's like trying, maybe like Ben's like kind of trying to talk Locke out of it one last time. Yeah, like, oh, he'll like, be so angry. So can yeah. we talk actually for a second about the the sh- the, the handshaking? Because that's, yes. you know, we very rarely see Ben Linus rattled, especially up to this point. Do you think that was just purely involuntary in Ben's part that he was that spooked about, you know, Locke trying to get to the core of him, that he had that physical manifestation of that anxiety? Yeah. Right? Like, I think, like, the reason that Ben's hand is shaking is not because he's afraid of of Jacob. I think Ben's hand is shaking because he's slipping his power mm. is slipping through his fingertips in this moment. It also might be like a nervous tick. Like I know when when all of us are in deep thought or like really concentrating on like something to do next, we might unintentionally like you know uh, jiggle our leg up and down or like bite our nails. Maybe that's just Ben's tick that he gets all he gets some shaky hands going on. Maybe totally possible. Um, but you know the fact that like he even has to like justify that weakness. Uh, again, it's rather evocative. Uh, and like, like even the shaking of a hand needs an explanation of my hand wasn't shaking for the reason you think it was. Uh, I think it was. I think Locke, this is an episode where for much of it, um, for the first time in a while, Locke has Ben's number. Um, well, and I ultimately, think, and I, it doesn't really matter. And I think it's also very interesting as well. You know, we speak about the relationship between fathers and sons between this episode and last episode. The way Ben is regarding Jacob right now, though, is actually fairly fatherly. Right. It's almost like dealing with another abusive father in his own right of like, oh, you don't like him when he's angry. You know, you don't, he summons you. Uh, you know, that's not someone you go and see. The way that Ben is at least presenting Jacob to Locke is the way that like he feared his father growing up. And so it makes yeah. sense for Ben to make that pitch because that was something that kept him subservient for so long. He assumed that something that might work on everybody of like, you get you get someone mad who's sitting in the other room that you don't want to cross. That can disincentivize you from doing a lot of things. Well, I think that he is he is afraid of Jacob um, in the sense that anyone he, he's afraid of him. He's angry. You know, there, he has a lot of feelings towards Jacob because this is a person who should have communicated with him at this point. Should or, have talked or, to him. You at know, some not point. given him a tumor on his spine. Yeah, like should have should have they should have been in contact with each other at this point. 
in in Ben's mind, you know, he kills his real father and kills the Dharma Initiative and, you know, get, like rises the ranks and thinks that he's doing everything right on Jacob's behalf. And Jacob still is not going to come down from on high. He's an absentee father again. Yeah. Right, you know, he's another deadbeat. Exactly, dad. it's just like we talked about last week. Like you try to work your way out of a situation, and you find yourself in in the exact same situation, but within a different party. Yeah, so he's he he's mad. Yeah, uh, and that's that's gonna be very uh, fundamental to 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 Ben. Uh, and meanwhile, Locke thinks like he's talking to Dad. Right, <laughs> Locke's like, I found a new dad, and he talks to me. It's like, uh, you know. Not really, man, but like, uh, you know, these things are going to manifest ug- in, in ugly fashion for both of them, just in different ways. The lock side of things is also very interesting because the way that he is regarding Jacob right now to Ben is almost like how he was acting about the idea of the hatch post question mark. Right. Of like, this thing truly isn't real. I've been a sucker the entire time. Now, granted, there is a different type of attitude that was more so like, I can't believe I was tricked this entire time. This is like we spoke about before. I'm, you know, I'm batting a thousand right now. I'm calling you out, you know, how much of a liar you are. But I do think it's an interesting parallel about how further instructions was meant to bring Locke back into the fold of really believing in the island. It's not that Locke doesn't believe in the island right now. He just doesn't believe Ben. So it's interesting to to find that parallel between Locke at the end of season two and Locke at the end of season three. Yeah, 100 percent. All right. So they're going to go. They're going to go off. Uh, Locke is going to really give Mikhail a look. Um if this is the smoke monster, Mike, then the smoke monster took a, a real shit kicking at this point. Yeah, I mean, listen, he's, he got beat by Jid. He's like, might as well, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. Emphasis on pound. He's also going to have to get from here to the cabin uh, before before Ben and Locke. I mean, let's, let's think it, it's a, it's a freaking smoke monster. It can very easily move quickly. Okay. Uh, all right. Flashback. Baby Ben. He's got a birthday present. It's another. It's the paper mache action figures. And yeah. he's like, hey, that's us. And we finally get Baby Ben Lyons' first line of the episode. He has not spoken to this point whatsoever. The island has finally given him the chance to say something, and it is thanks. This is thanks. one of the only times that Ben Linus shows Thank gratitude you. without expecting something in return. Thanks. Uh, so he's very touched. And meanwhile, he goes home. It's his birthday. His dad's passed out drunk. He tries to, you know, you know, get him in sleep and shape. He takes the beer out of his hand. Yeah, and you, and you can tell this is like the automation of it knows that's what this is a routine he's done so yeah, many he's times. He's done this before. He's done this before. So he's take he's taken off the shoe and Roger wakes up and Roger gives Ben the worst birthday greeting possible. Wow. It's your birthday. Sorry, I forgot. It's kind of hard to celebrate on the day you killed your mom. She was just seven months pregnant. We went for a hike. But you had to come early. Now, she's gone. And I'm stuck here on this island. With you. Happy birthday, Ben. Josh, it took me this watch through to realize Ben and Roger Linus are Tyrion and Tywin Lannister. Mmm. 
it's interesting. I mean, it's it's extremely similar circumstances, right? We're spoiler for Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, and if you haven't watched it, you know, I'm just giving you a little bit of extra buffer. Don't you can't just say spoiler and then spoil the thing. You right. got to give people a minute, Mike. Especially with when I'm such a quick talker. I think Mike, I, this is this is this is a one Mike Bloom pet peeve. You yeah. can't just say spoiler and then spoil the thing. You do this. You got to give them some room to get out. I give people. If you're going to yeah, spoil a thing, you have to filibuster for a little while, just for the people who who are still scrambling. Like, oh god, are they done? Yeah, they're, like, they're fumbling yet? their phone right now. Oh no, I dropped it. They're going to reveal. They're ripping the earbuds out of their ears, throwing them down a sewer Mike, drain. If I've, if I've got one uh, <laughs> loving critique, oh, is this a note for, session for, to, car- <laughs> to, to carry with you for the future? Because I've I've heard you do this before. Oh yeah, oh I definitely have. <laughs> so don't just say spoiler and then spoil the thing. It's not enough. <laughs> okay, you got to right. give some buffer. You got to put up the fence. <laughs> You gotta punch in the code so that people Josh, can you know, get out. The fences don't work for me. I go right over it and just appear right. in your window, being spoiler alert. That's enough. Now, Game of Thrones spoilers are allowed. All right, well, maybe we'll give it a few more seconds. All right, <laughs> spoiler alert for Game of Thrones, the yes. hit HBO series of eight seasons and a major upcoming spinoff series, perhaps. So, Tyrion Lannister uh, during his birth. Uh, Tywin's mother, I'm, I'm forgetting her name, Tyana? Joanna. Joanna, Joanna. Uh, she ends up dying. Uh, and Tyrion at least believes that Tywin has always held resentment towards him for many reasons, uh, but one of them is that he killed his mother. And hearing Roger Linus say this to Ben, I had the exact same sort of like uh, relationship vibe here. Now, granted, yeah. I don't think Roger is as calculating or cold. I think Roger is more so like striking out in anger, more so than like Tywin Lannister, who maybe speaks more so out of malice. But I think it's uh, it's not you know coincidental that both these guys end up killing their dad in right. pretty gruesome ways. Now, I think for Roger, maybe the equivalent would have been if if Ben caught Roger in bed with Annie. For example, that would be uh, oh comparable gosh. for many reasons, but yeah. I think it's, it's very similar circumstances, right? Of just when you deeply hold re- misplaced resentment onto a child, that pressure builds up until that cork finally pops off that bottle. And much like Jacob's example, that's when evil is unleashed. Yeah, but I, I think uh, the fact that it's done on his birthday is hardly a coincidence, right? Yeah. You know, the fact that all of this goes down on his birthday well, yeah, is like reclaiming could, the narrative. Again, yeah, you could you could imagine, uh, I don't know how, again, what role Ben played in the plating, but maybe he just stuck his finger and he says, it has to be on this day particularly. I know you made me right. wait very long, but I for just for the lulls, I want it to be. And I wonder if maybe, you know, I think it's like four... 15 is when it happens. I wonder if it happened exactly at the time he was born as well. Yeah, very, very likely. Uh, I I think it makes a lot of sense that, like, they need the inside man to do the job. And Ben's like, I'll do the job. Here's when we're going to do it. Here's the time. Yeah, I've got I've I've given this a lot of thought. Uh, So happy birthday, Ben. Ben runs away. He's so upset. He sees his ghost mom across the way. And this is clearly the smoke monster saying it's not time yet. Not quite yet. Yeah, we're going to have to we're going to do this eventually, man. Like I can like I've been I've been watching you, dude. You're the guy for sure. But not yet. You just got to be a little more patient. Yeah, and it's also a little taunting as well. Right. Like, ah, 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 you didn't mm-hmm. say the magic word. Speaking yeah, of another I mean, electric fence that needs to come up or down. 
and it's especially poetic too if you then want to like apply this to other ways in which the smoke monster similarly taunts ben in the future right like he's going to do this he's doing this now as ben's mom he will do this again as ben's daughter yeah uh you know so uh to to have to have this as the smoke monster i think just makes the Ben arc so much more satisfying. And, and I think. poor little baby Ben Linus. They kept the take where he trips running away from his dead I mom. Know. Poor kid, poor kid. Back in the present, Ben and Locke, they reach the Ash Ring. Uh, so they've they've made it to the Ash Ring. Uh, and, and, we'll I, just... and I will say, this will play into the canon because, spoiler alert, spoiler, this is a spoiler for later in the podcast when we talk about a point of Lost. Uh, I totally agree with you that I think it's the smoke monster in the cabin. For sure. And I think Locke accidentally trips the ring here. Hmm. Interesting. And that's that's how Smokey gets in. Okay, cool. All right. So uh, back at 815, everyone's gathered around. Lots of infighting. Lots of people having lots of different takes on everything that's going on about Juliet because Saeed is like filling everyone in now. It's like, all right, now everybody's got to know. All right, listen. First, it was one person. Then it was like five people. Now we can bring in everyone. Now let's just talk. Let's just talk. Let's let's talk it through. And Sun's like, I don't know why we're uh, getting mad about Jack. It's Jack. Yeah. And plus, I think, Julia, I like I think Julia. Juliet's actually kind of cool. Yeah, we had a good episode a few episodes ago. Yeah, and it's sort of like, hey, uh, well, maybe you want to uh, maybe you want to play the tape uh, and the tape is Juliet's recording from the end of DOC. Jin has been outed in front of everybody uh, as being sterile. And he doesn't the know it. Yeah, sad. Uh, so Jack and Juliet roll up, and this is what happens. Where'd you get that? Where have you been, Jack? I asked you where you got it. You really think you're in a position to be asking us questions? Turn the tape over. Stay out of it. You want to burn me at the stake? Here I am. But first, turn the tape over. Press play. It's Ben. I'm sending three teams to extract Quan the night after tomorrow. We won't have time to run Austin's sample. So if you determine that she or anyone else is pregnant, mark their tents and we'll take them too. Good luck. The night I saw your baby on the ultrasound, I told Jack what they were making me do. Why didn't you tell us? Because I hadn't decided what to do about it yet. Yet. I think we got some catching up to do. Great scene. And just like a, a great little tease of where we're going next. Now it's it's like Jack saying not just to Saeed, but to us. Yep. Like... Let me fill you in on what I've been working on. Exactly. Like, I know you guys haven't trusted me in a minute. Let me let me let me spill the beans. There was a pretty um active chat in the Poster Recaps patron Discord mm. this week in the Lost Channels about um because we've been talking about this on the podcast, Mike, of like sort of whether or not everything that's going on with uh with Jack being sort of at arm's length, is that effective? Is it is it hampering the story? And some some strong arguments that came out in favor of it mm-hmm. uh were that what really matters the most here is what we're seeing in the lead up to this scene, which is that like faith has been lost in yeah. Jack, right? Like people just don't trust him anymore. And I really do think that that is um of vital importance for the future arc of the show that jack is never really going to ever be able to fully restore that faith uh from everybody 
uh, until maybe the end of the thing. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, going to take mean, a are, long time are, for him to like rise back up in everyone's estimation. We are far at this point, far removed from the live together, die alone speech, even though Jack is, I think, trying to resuscitate that group energy in this speech. Not many people are on his side, especially with so much condemning evidence. And I, I do agree that I think, uh, you know, the Ben behind the curtain made a great point uh, about how, you know, this really helps inform the twist and through the looking glass of Jack as sort of like, maybe not like unreliable narrator, maybe unreliable protagonist of he might do things that are not for the good of the group necessarily. It's certainly going to inform season four's arc, which essentially is Locke versus Jack. We need to be in a position where we question Jack's leadership a position he has held since the fifth episode of the series and so i really do enjoy it and, and i actually like the choice to almost do a mini version of the brig here in okay we have seen everybody but jack's side of the story now we get to see it and granted we don't get you know a series of flashbacks indicating when jack found out about uh juliet coming clean about everything i think my only minor qualm with it is i agree i really love the idea i wondered if they could have gone further with it uh, you know, because I think there there are some things there. We see how Kate reacts and why she feels the way she does. We see how Saeed and and Sawyer feel about it. I would have loved to see, like, how does Hurley feel about it? You know, I feel like if this is to become a, a bigger psychological question about whether or not to trust a character, I enjoyed what we had in there, but I almost wanted it to be pushed a little further in retrospect, because I agree it, it is rich, and I think it can be enriched if we involve more of this ensemble in reacting with, I've trust Jack for so long, how can I trust him now? So I think it comes, though. You know, I think I think it's the kind of thing where, like, maybe not directly in reaction to this, because everyone's going to go along with the plan for the most part, and everyone's going to go towards the radio tower and everything, and they're going to they're gonna buy in on the plan. Yeah, we're getting but rescued, then, hooray! But then there's division over the question of rescue, and... People at a certain point, Jack's been gone so long that they are even willing to take a dead Charlie's word over Jack's living word. You mm-hmm. know, they're even going to go with a guy who just shot someone in front of everybody instead of Jack. Um, even Hurley is going to go with Locke, you know, and so Jack is losing Hurley. Uh, there's an argument to be made here. Um, so I, I think that it's this is not like the thing that like completely you know snaps this stuff um but it, it's it starts a process it's mm. it's a it's a it's, it's the an beginning of the end. In a process yes one could say uh, one so could say. but let's talk about even just jack in this scene his line about he wasn't sure what to do when juliet makes her reveal which is why he was so private what do you make of that is that jack's you know, lack of trust with the rest of 815 in terms of reacting? Is that is that just his own issues with internalizing everything? Why why do you think he chooses to yeah, withhold a, information? There's you know, there's an argument that it's a that it's a bad call. Um I think but I, yeah, like, I think it's a very bad call. You know, that that uh that like he should have brought in Kate, that you know, someone who he really trusts. He should have brought in Hurley, he should have brought in Saeed. But, you know, the other piece of it is he knows that public opinion against Juliet is not in her favor. Um, and he he does believe her and he feels that she would be vital to the success of this. And she's just given them a big piece of information. Maybe he has to chew on whether or not he totally trusts her and then ultimately make a call there. But he doesn't have anyone who he immediately imagines as a valid scene partner in this regard. I think in this way, he is 
severely underestimating Saeed. I think yeah. Saeed especially. I think that he should be talking to Saeed. Because the thing about it's- Saeed is that, like, yes, he might have his own opinion, but the great thing about Saeed Jarrah like, even if he disagrees with something, he'll put out, he'll put down his head and go to work. Like, he'll be a, sol- he'll well, be a soldier. Not, it- it, there's there's that, but he'll also come up with he'll help come up with a plan. And I guess the last time they did that, the plan ended up with Jack being captured for a month or whatever. Uh, so you know maybe he's he's not super eager to to workshop this with Saeed again. But I do think that that's a, a missed opportunity, and I think he would be able to have a reasonable, logical conversation with Saeed. Um, to some extent, um, but maybe he feels like Juliet is totally cooked if mm. if he does that. And so in this moment, he is he is putting Juliet's safety uh, at least at an equal footing as everybody else. And his decision making means for him at this moment, he's not going to he's not going to let anybody else in because he has somebody he trusts in Juliet. He has somebody who he believes will be uh, interested in destroying the others who is completely independent from all of these people in Rousseau. Uh, So maybe he does feel like he has enough scene partners, but the fact that he is not including any of his original crew as a scene partner here is a big piece of why I think not everyone's going to be able to be fully on board with Jack. Yeah, because it makes him feel like he's not, even though he says he's speaking on behalf of the group, he's not necessarily communicating with them, which is problematic but relatable i would say and that's the character of jack shepherd in yeah. general right and i also just want to say as well because this is the last 815 proper scene we'll get of this episode something else i love about this last streak of episodes in season three is the balance uh because yeah. we have between this and the brig you know we've seen some scenes with 815 but the large majority of scenes are going to be concentrated around the ben lock others side of things and i love that we don't see that at all next week we teeter all the way back to 815 so we've talked about this all the time in season one especially with like episodes that laid the groundwork for episodes to come right after them or two episodes down the line and we sort of get that here where we get little snippets of what's going on back at camp is almost to say like yeah there's still some stuff going on but wait your turn be very very patient we're gonna have plenty of 815 stuff going on next week for you All right, be a little more patient. We're going to take a quick break, and then we will continue with the man behind the curtain. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, Mike. Let's get back into it. Uh, we start with a flashback. Baby Benjamin with his huge-ass backpacks uh, I mean, I guess approaching w- the fence. Which I'm trying to remember. I mean, it didn't seem... I don't think he came onto the island with any backpacks. But maybe that was sort of thrown into the compartments of the Galaga. Uh, all his bags were sort of taken care of by the... Dharma and it's strange because I cannot imagine the Dharma Initiative has a surplus of backpacks. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd imagine maybe there was like a Dharma version of an air-like traffic controller, like taking care of the bags and delivering it mm-hmm. to their moves or something. Who's on backpack duty? I would like to know. Yeah, li- uh, listen, Roger, you can complain about being a workman, but at least you're not a backpack man. <laughs> at least you're not on backpack duty. Ben's going to test the fence by throwing his bunny into it. <laughs> That's not exactly what he does, but he lets his bunny just go through the fence. Like, did it work? Okay, good. But he would have just totally let his bunny bleed out the ears. Yeah, I think absolutely. He'd be like, uh, huh. All right, I guess I'll try again tomorrow. Let me grab another so ben bunny. So like, Ben was like a creepy little would-be bunny killer from the jump. Either that or this is after he's been shot. Um, but he he does not. I I don't think so. Yeah. I think like I think we get the sense that uh, in in the in the season five stuff that we see with Ben um, that he has met Richard Alpert at that point. Yeah, I think, at I, least my impression. Yeah, I think that that stuff takes place after this. So that so that I don't think Richard is entirely surprised to see Ben in that moment as he is here upon genuinely meeting him for Smoke the first time. Smoke Monster's watching this from the forest by the wind being like, yo! Oh, that damn. kid's ruthless. Oh, shit. This kid's he more ev- killed his bunny. This kid's more screwed up than I thought. I mean, I, I, I mean, to, to that point, I've actually always felt about the temple something that you have vocalized a lot, or you and Kevin have really on the Mandalorian podcast Grand Poster Recaps with regards to the Force, about how it's almost like an amplification of what is already inside you in terms of forces of good or evil that I, I always felt like whenever, you know, you go to the temple and you get dipped in those waters that it's accentuating parts of yourself that already kind of exist. And I know that we love Saeed Jarrah, but Saeed Jarrah has some dark parts of him and that I think could have very easily come to light when he could I don't know that anybody would walk away uh, on this show from a, from a trip to the water of the temple without some extraordinary darkness coming out. Yeah. I'm trying to think of anyone other than Hurley. I was thinking Hurley might be the only one. Maybe Annie. Um, I guess, you know, I don't know Annie well enough. Maybe she does something really messed up in a, a scene that we didn't get to see. Um, but like, who else, you know, who, who doesn't have some sort of like extraordinary, like terrifying thing that would happen if they got dipped in that water? Yeah. So, so, so I do think that, like you said, it's not that, okay, you're good. You get dipped in the water. You're evil. I just think it brings those parts out yeah. of yourself, which again, maybe brings apart this idea of like, well, what? maybe this thing shouldn't exist in the first place, the whole Lazarus pit of it all. But regardless, uh, you know, I think, like you said, there are little seeds, little pieces of rabbit poop uh, being left behind as to the man Ben would become even in this moment. All right, so Ben goes into the forest. He hears some whispers. He starts shouting for his mom, and instead of seeing his mom, he sees... uh, Sporting the meanest Farquad, (laughs) this sign, uh, this side of Shrek... Uh, it's Richard Alpert in the woods, and this is the conversation. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, whoa, hey, hey. Whoa, I didn't mean to scare you. Wait, wait, are you lost? Wait. Are you one of them? One of who? A hostel. Do you even know what that word means? What's your name? Ben. Ben, so you want to tell me what you're doing in the middle of the jungle all by yourself? I left home, and I'm looking for my mom. You think she's out here? You wouldn't believe me. Try me. She's dead. Did she die here, on the island? No. When I was a baby. Did you see her 
Out here, Ben, in the jungle? She talked to me. What did she say? That I couldn't come with her. She said it wasn't time yet. You should go home now. Your people will be looking for you. I don't want to go back there. I hate it there. Take me with you. Maybe that can happen. Maybe. Yeah, but if that's what you really want, then if that's what you want, I want you to think about that. And you're going to have to be very... Very patient. So, Josh, before we get into the weirdness of Nestor Carbonell in this scene, I actually want to read some cut lines from the script. Uh, that, you know, the Ben behind the curtain sent this to me because there's going to be some stuff we're going to get into later on in terms of the stage directions with the cabin stuff. But originally in the script, when Richard Alpert, you know, says, you don't know what that, I don't, I do not think that word means what you think it means when it comes to hostile. He tells Ben, tell me something, Ben, when you go over to a friend's house for the first time, do you act like it's your house? Do you walk in and just start playing with his toys? Do you make a mess and not clean it up? When you leave, do you take things that don't belong to you? No, you wouldn't do any of those things because that would be hostile. And I point that out because later on in the episode, and we certainly got some questions about this as to why did the hostiles, quote unquote, what we know as the others, do such a large scale plan on the Dharma initiative. And I think this hidden line is very key because Richard's essentially vocalizing what the followers of Jacob are feeling at this moment, and maybe Jacob himself, which is, hey, we're just fine believing in Jacob, living off the land. These intruders come in and start infringing on our land, using our resources for our gain, and are mistreating the spirit of the island. Therefore, they must go, and in a big way. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a reason why I think maybe we don't ever fully understand the true nature of the others um, on this show and why they seem to maybe be like kind of flexible based on the leader is like when we, when we meet Widmore at his youngest age, it's, it's Widmore and it's Eloise Mm -hmm. and they are, are they soldiers on the Island initially? Yeah, I believe so. And so like, who did they take over from? Who did they conquer from? And I think Albert kind of, seemingly is under this like jacob rule of like go with the flow Mm. you know go with the flow and just support whoever's in charge whoever they say is in charge just support that person and there's constantly these subversions of leadership that change different styles and so like if widmore who then like you know as the military people if widmore then ascended to power and then it's widmore saying yeah, I don't like the Dharma Initiative being here. It's not fun for us. This is not this is not what we signed on for. Uh, or maybe see some sort of advantage in killing them and taking all the stuff that they've developed. Uh, they go with it, uh, and Alpert supports it because Jacob says, "Support the leader. Follow the leader." Is mm-hmm. uh, you know an episode coming up many moons from now. Um, and then for Ben, follow that leader. If Ben then like starts playing ball by, by a different rule, then John Locke, follow that one. Um, so I think, I think that there's some element of that 
here where it, I think it's less for, for Richard with Ben right now being like, this kid will be the key to helping us destroy the Dharma initiative. I don't read this scene that way. I, I think that there's some, I think that there's some, something really important that's going on in the scene with Richard when he, when Ben says, I'm looking for my mom. Uh, and Ben, uh, Richard says, uh, and he says she's dead. And Richard said, did she die here on the island? Yeah, this is him being like, let me test to see if old yes. Smokey is getting to bed Because here. Richard knows about the smoke monster. Considering you know, that Richard, he, was, he was someone who was tempted by a fruit of another once upon a time. You know, he knows what the smoke monster is up to. He knows a lot of what the smoke monster can do. You know, certainly when he like puts that stuff together towards the end of season five beginning season six right like it seems like he's been duped he's been had um he in his own way is a guy who gets conned by the smoke monster uh so when when ben says no she died when i was born richard you know doesn't think well did you bring her ass <laughs> hey you got any <laughs> did you, uh do you got a little crumbs of your you, mom in, in your pocket buddy did you bring her appendix with you because i certainly know listen, a thing man, or two yeah, about I, that. let me show you my stash you know so i think for him He's hearing, okay, this is very interesting that this is a kid who might be communing with his dead mother, and it sounds like it's not Smokey, because Smokey takes on the likeness of dead people who are here, who died here. Uh, and you can imagine that conversation between Richard and Jacob afterwards going back. So I met this kid today, yeah, and he has uh, a dead mom. Okay, go on. but And he sees her, right, but she's not here. She's not her body. She didn't die here. Uh, her body's not here. And Jake would go, huh? And Richard goes, yeah. So like that means like that's not smoke monster, right? Because like the smoke might like. And Jake was like, yeah, those are the rules. So uh, that kid's interesting. Keep tabs on him. So I think that this is a moment where Richard Alpert is like. This kid might be important. Yeah. So in the same way that he's going to clock John Locke because in the fifties John Locke came back and said like, watch me get born, bro. Come visit me. You know, Richard knows to, like, track Locke. This is another moment where, without, like, any of that, like, future intel, I think Albert's looking at Ben Linus as somebody who could be very, very compelling, very mm-hmm. interesting, bring that information back to a Charles Widmore in addition to the Jacobs and uh, bring it to Eloise or whatever. And uh, this could end up being a kid at least of some significance. And I bet the worm turns significantly, of course, once they dunk him in the goo, yeah. you know, the temple juice. And they're like, oh, this isn't the kid that we thought. Yes, we did see him almost kill a bunny, but, like, this isn't the kid who wanted his mommy. I could not agree more. I think this is Richard realizing that Ben is very special. Uh, right. And so this is him. Only to be disappointed, right? Like, yeah. as the Ben, as the Benjamin Linus story continues, and he starts taking things in a different way, but uh, Richard feeling, like, good about Linus, and, and especially if Jacob's like, oh, yeah, and he's on my wall. Oh. I have his name written on yeah, the wall. Hopefully it's not his dad. You know, it's like, oh, thank God. Yeah, I don't think it's the workman. Uh, you know, I think like Richard has this feeling of like, this kid could be special. He knows Ben. He knows Ben from the time that he's a baby boy. Yeah, and, and, also, you know? and also to that point, I think that the whole you have to be very, very patient thing. I think that's also a bit of a test as well. Uh, maybe it's the version of him presenting a bunch of objects in front of Ben to see if he picks the right one of, okay, I have some interest in you. Not only does he have to relay this back to Jacob, like you're saying, but I can imagine he wants to see how patient this guy is because if he knows anything if you are an acolyte of jacob if you want to sit at the right hand of the man himself patience is what you need to have yes 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 and like 
And Richard knows a thing or two about patience, having been alive for so long. Um, so he's just he's just trying out a hairdo, right? Yeah. So this is this is clearly like I think also the way he behaved, like the way he sort of regards Ben, like he's a horse. Like whoa, 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 hold, 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 hold on. I think that I think Richard's like, oh, I haven't had long hair in a minute. Well, yeah. This is oh, this is the transition. I think this is the transition from Ricardo to Richard Albert, where he's like, okay, like I well, like I'm trying to remember because he had the short hair when Locke. No, he's the got 50s. short hair in the fifties. He goes to Locke in the fifties, both as a baby. Then he sees him when Locke's a kid. Maybe, maybe, so like, his, maybe is, the barber died. Maybe the, 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 <laughs> he got shot as a ho- as a hostile. I think, listen, I think like if I'd been alive for two hundred years or whatever, like I would try some new haircuts. Yeah, I'm surprised know? we I don't would, get more wigs on Nestor and Carbonell. I would, I would, I would try like the Friar Tuck thing just to see. You know, like how does that look on me? I'm like, surprised you know, Richard doesn't try uh, dyeing his hair. Like, why don't we get a bleach a bleach blonde Richard Albert in like the seventies? You know, like, why don't we get, like, Punk Albert, you know, like, uh, Blue Mohawk? Yeah, I like that. Or, like, maybe he gets, like, a, a flock of seagulls haircut. Maybe if Lost took place in 2020, we get, like, emo haircut Albert with, like, the bangs swooshing over yeah. it. Maybe a Skrillex with one sha- one uh, side shaved. Could be good. I, I'd be interested to see the many hairdos of Richard Albert. I think it could be good. I think it could be very good. So, uh, yeah, I don't spend too much time thinking about it. Uh, people are like, ah, continuity here. It's like, no, maybe he just wanted to try a thing. He's been alive for a long time. There's a lot of a lot of moments in time that Richard Alpert could just be rocking some long locks. I got no problem with that. Um, so be patient, Ben. Meanwhile, back at the in, in the present, it's the cabin. Uh, Ben's like, hey, turn that flashlight off. Jacob hates flashlights. Yeah, Big, like really has a problem with flashlights. He feels the same way about technology as you do, which is interesting. I guess a bit of a callback to like Locke's more naturalistic tendencies from the first season. But I don't know. I feel like the hatch stuff. Maybe that's also a poke at that as well. Like, well, you didn't like that computer, so clearly you hate technology, including flashlights. The idea that if you press a thing, two batteries will line up and create a nat- an unnatural light. Yeah. Um so so they're going to go in. Uh they're going to they're going to they're going to Ben's like, "Hey, you know, you don't have to do this. We don't have to go if you don't want to." And Locke's like, "No, nah, I I want to go in." He doesn't even need to say it. So Ben's like, "All right, here we go." So they go in and there's a lot in the cabin. Let's just clock the cabin before yep. we play the sound because of course there's some sounds that we want to hear from in here. Uh, probably not all of them because a lot of them would just be like, "Whoosh." Yeah, I mean, spoiler okay. alert, it's going to uh stop before things go we'll haywire. Yeah, we'll cut it. But there's 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 stuff on the wall. There's like all of, uh, all of those mason jars filled with fluids. Some- maybe those are the invisible. Uh, <laughs> maybe if you brought a mason jar from eight one five into the cabin, it would instantly fill up with peanut butter, Mike. Or possibly these are some uh, imported peaches from Ray Mullins' farm. Could be. It could be. There's the portrait of the dog. Mm-hmm, portrait of the dog. Uh, do we ever have like a, a satisfying explanation for the portrait of the dog? The closest I got just off the cuff today while I was doing notes or yesterday while I was doing notes is uh, is this foreshadowing that Vincent will be the last living character we see on Lost. Ooh. You know what? It speaks to me actually that like Jacob does seem like a dog person because he's someone who values loyalty. And so I actually do feel like, yeah, but I don't know because you have to walk a dog. And I don't see Jacob, like, really going for walks, right? You know, he tends to, he's a homebody. I feel like he's a catman. I don't know. I feel like the catman is more so the man in black, because it's more so about, like, having his own individual things, less so about, like, what does my owner want, and more so about, like, let me do my own thing, let me be a, a little mischievous. Like, dogs are certainly mischievous, but I do think, at the end of the day, they are loyal to their owners, to a fault. Yeah. Uh, so there's the dog painting on the thing. There's the stove in the corner. There's all sorts. Of, and then, of course, the rocking chair. 
Yeah. Uh, what else? Anything else you 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 marked in the cabin? Well, I mean, do we want to talk about the man himself in the chair, or should we wait until after the clip for that? We'll get there. We'll we'll let's let's roll the clip. We'll get after. We'll get into all of this in a moment. Jacob, this is John. Aren't you going to say hello, John? told you he wouldn't who what are you talking about you can't see him see who jacob he's sitting right here in this chair yes i know but he insisted what is this you wanted the secrets of the island well here they are this is the man who can answer every single I am not. He made me bring him here. Did you think that that was my... Sorry, may I finish? You're crazy. Excuse me? You don't know anything about the island, do you? You just made it all up. Jacob, please, I can't hear him Stop. if you're going to talk Stop over it. what he's... Shut up! You putting on a show for me? Or do you... Do you really think there's someone there? I know there's someone there. You don't know anything. I'm sorry you feel that way, John. And I'm sorry that you're too limited to see. You're pathetic. Help me. What did you just say? I... I didn't say anything. Oh, yes, you did. I heard you. And then bang, boom, crash, crash. Uh, that's another story. Winston. <laughs> All right. So uh, maybe it is Gozer who's in the in the chair. But it's uh, the train. It's the train. So let me uh, let me read from the script a bit because there's a lot yep. here in the stage directions. Let me also warn you. Uh, language alert. Uh, I think when you work on Damon Lindelof productions, you use the F word a lot in your okay. stage directions. So cool. There's a there's a lot in here. I'm gonna start from when. Uh, you know, Ben's interrupting Locke, saying, like, Jacob, I can't, you know, hear him when you're talking over me. Locke says, stop it. Shut up. And Ben does shut up, looks into Locke's wild fucking eyes. Or are, are you putting on a show for me? Or do you do you really think there's someone there? A beat. And then Ben says without a trace of doubt, oh, I know there's someone there. You don't know anything. And now... We see a new expression on Ben's face, and it looks an awful lot like relief. Ben says, I'm sorry you feel that way, John, and I'm sorry that you're too limited to see. And Locke says, there's nothing to see. There's no one there. Close on Ben. And he really fucking believes this. Yes, John, there is. On Locke. Feeling very much the victim of the longest and most unfulfilling fucking shaggy dog story in the history of shaggy dog stories looks at Ben with pure fucking disgust. You're pathetic. And with that, Locke turns around and heads towards the door. 
And just as he reaches out for the knob, he hears a voice. And this voice, it is not Ben's. It is deeper and more powerful. And somehow, some way, it is not coming from behind Locke. It is coming from everywhere. And the two words it speaks are unmistakable. Help me. Oh, sweet Christ. Locke spins around, spooked. What did you just say? And the look on Ben's face suddenly transforms from relief to pure fucking surprise. Shock, in fact. I didn't say anything. Wait, what the? And Locke reaches for his flashlight, snaps it on, shines it right in Ben's fucking eyes. No, I heard you. You said, and before Locke can get another word out, everything goes to complete and total batshit. And so the reason why I read that outside of really, uh, you know, stretching the rating for this podcast is that this really paints an interesting picture, at least from the writer's perspective, as to Ben's feelings of the scene, which I think is a very key discussion point for this particular clip. Okay, so talk to me about that. How how do you read it? How do you read the arc of Ben as per the the script notes from him going from relief to to panic? Do you do you mark the relief as John Locke uh not seeing something that Ben is authentically seeing and then panicking that now John can suddenly see what it is that Ben sees or something else? So what I believed before even reading the script which I thought this was going to be yet another magic trick from Ben, because I think his goal was to be like, I want to make Locke believe that like he's still not worthy of seeing Jacob, and I'm going to make this like big dog and pony show out of it. Because we know Ben has never seen Jacob before, up, up until you know the point that he kills him in season five. That's a big point of Ben's arc. So it doesn't really make sense for me to for him to see ben, Jacob and for Locke to not see Jacob. Uh, and so I think... From my purview, what happens is he's going along with this act, and then when things start shaking, and we might talk, we'll talk about whether or not that's actually Jacob, that's the unplanned thing. And that's why Ben looks so surprised when Locke hears a voice, because Ben wasn't expecting that. Ben wasn't ex- actually expecting somebody to be there. I-, I think Ben was going along with an entire charade, and then once actually something happens, he's like, Oh, crap. He's the person who leads someone to the graveyard being like, oh, you don't want to bother the ghost. And then the door shuts and you hear spooky voices and you're like, I did not plan on this whatsoever. Now I'm freaked out. So so we see everything go to hell, right? Like everything goes nuts. The lamp falls down. Fire starts. It stops. The chair is rocking out of control. Ben grabs the chair. He says, that's enough. You had your fun. Uh, He gets thrown back and we cut to the chair and we see that there is an old man sitting in the chair. Blink and you miss it, but he's there. Yeah, so let's Um, let's, let's talk about that just from a behind-the-scenes perspective because this was one of the bigger uh, Easter egg shots from the entirety of Season 3. So apparently, this is from the Ben Behind the Curtain, Bobby Roth, director of the episode, asked Carlton Cuse, is Jacob really there? Carlton replied, what do you think? Bobby had the sense that Carlton had a clear answer, but he wanted to see Bobby's interpretation. As a result, Bobby shot the entire cabin sequence twice, once with no one in the chair, and once with Rob Kiker, the on-site prop master, who he called, quote, the funniest-looking guy on set. <laughs> so he just wanted the funniest-looking guy on set Yeah, he wanted, the like, the most, like, haggard, weirdo-looking guy 
to put in the chair. And it was Rob Kiker's face that people Amazing. were frozen onto for weeks at a time of, oh my God, could that actually be Jacob? I know there was also a portion of time when people thought it was Christian Shepard. Granted, we are going to see a version of Christian Shepard right. sitting in that chair in season four. Uh, but yeah, right. I remember this was one of the bigger freeze frame moments from the entirety of season three. Right. So this is, but this is the man in black for sure. I, I uh, think so. Absolutely. I, I just like, there's what, what other explanation is there other than this? What, what other satisfying explanation is there other than the fact that this is the smoke monster who is screwing both with Ben and Locke, uh, who is messing with both of these people, demonstrate flexing for both of these people, um, making Ben believe that this is Jacob. And I think the explanation for me for Ben is that he believes this is Jacob, that he's been, you know, as part of like the, you know, the, the, the being read in on being like up in a position of power with the others, like, oh, Jacob lives here. This is where Jacob hangs out. Uh, you get to see the cabin. This is where you'll, you know, don't go in though. Mm. You know, he, he summons you. He'll come to you. But, you know, sometimes he summers here, <laughs> you know, in the cabin. Other times he's other places, but sometimes he's here. And so I think Ben goes to the cabin in, because, like, nothing is really sacred to him. And he takes Locke there. And once things like I think because you need to find a way to explain why does he bother, like, kneeling by the rocking chair and telling whoever is in there, like, that's enough. You've had your fun. I think like that's a moment where Ben thinks that like he's actually talking to Jacob finally. Mm. So that's interesting. Maybe it's a thing where like he because uh, I don't think Jacob uh, Ben ever feels like this is the man in black. I think you made a very great ba- point before that at this point, Ben thinks he is so powerful that the smoke monster is his pet, nor does he really equate it with someone like the man in black. So maybe it's it's that thing I said before where he thinks it's a show. And then once he realizes that Jacob might actually be there, he's like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't really mean it. No, stop it. P- please stop it right now. Uh, yeah. I think another reason why he cannot think I think another reason why he cannot know um that the man in black has the ability to impersonate the dead um is because if he knew that there's no world in which he goes along with um with John Locke yeah but at the, at the end of season 5 yeah there's no way yes. that he's like if he knew that there was some entity with the power to repurpose dead bodies i think he imagines that that uh that ghosts exist on the island that like there that, that that the dead can manifest, and I think that that lends into the idea of what we've talked about before of like the whispers and the others right. being in concert with each other to a certain degree, like some measure of synergy between those two entities. Um, because when when Ben is you know Ben has the history with with em, with Emily, his mother, right? Um, Ben's going to have that moment with Alex where you know the ghost of his dead daughter is going to scare him into following John Locke towards anything that John Locke wants, even though it's. Really just the smoke monster running very quickly <laughs> from yeah. like one spot to the other to the to the same original spot back again um that i think that like if if he knows that that power is on display if he knows what the smoke monster actually is a lot of season five falls apart for me yeah or at least you're like why is he suddenly now sort of declawed from that perspective? how has how has he not questioned that john Locke? like at a certain point then doesn't he just look at john Locke's like oh god you're the smoke monster yeah. You know, and that never happened. But I, I think that Ben's emotional arc, however you look into it from in this scene, is really necessary. Because, again, the way that I'm sort of tracking it is, Ben, when Locke says you don't know anything, I think that's a sign to Ben of, okay, 
Locke doesn't believe that. And I think, if, if, according to the script, I think it's relief, and it's relief because now Ben's thinking, like, okay, this guy can't challenge my throne, right? This is someone who right. does not is not able, he's not seeing Jacob, he doesn't have that power, he hasn't been touched in that way, he's not special. The minute Locke hears that voice and Ben doesn't, there's that power shift again. Now it's right. Locke once again telling Ben, hey, uh, the island got me out of my wheelchair. Why didn't it cure you of your tumor? And that's why Ben decides to shoot Locke there. Of like, I cannot let this guy live because he is now the clearest threat to my position of power. Because if things don't go haywire the way they do, I think that Ben can come back to the group with a decent story for Richard. Yep. You know, he can be like, you know, I took him to the cabin. It's Locke. You guys keep saying he's special. So I figure, all right, I'll take him to the cabin. So I took him to the cabin that you showed me and told me about, and I, I took him in, and I saw Jacob, and, and he didn't. Yeah. You know? And, and, I think, uh, and I think if Locke had started going around to people being like, you know, Jacob isn't real, Ben could be like, whose word are you going to believe, this newcomer yeah. or mine? Right, 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 right. So I think like he, he's got, like a, a, in his mind, like a decent cover story. But yeah, uh, Locke hears something that Ben does not, and then the smoke monster, loving that, you gotta imagine, like we've talked about before, right? Like, uh, like season three premiere was it that established uh, smoke monster can get so small, so tiny yeah. that it can sneak into a microphone, right? Uh, so the smoke monster just like lingering in Locke's ears, <laughs> and so that's the only reason why he's damn the it, only Locke! One who can if you didn't, cl- if you cleaned your damn ears, you wouldn't have had this situation, you know. So that's uh, that's how he does it. But yeah, I think the fact that help me, he hears that. I think like also for the ending of the episode, the very ending of the episode, to make sense, it does have to be that Ben now does believe that John Locke just talked to Jake. Exactly. Of like, oh my God, wait! Like yes. I, I came to sort of show John Locke that he can't possibly talk to Jacob, but he actually can. This is something that needs to be taken care of ASAP. Because he's so petty, right? Yeah. You know, he's so petty. It's such a threat. Uh, his whole identity has been built on, uh, you know, finding finding power here. He's committed so many atrocities that what are they for if it's just for this pathetic guy that he doesn't like at all? Yeah, uh, exactly. To, it's to like, I, power. like think, he's probably thinking about how much he did to get into the position of power, how many pe- bodies he has literally stepped over to do so, and now this guy waltz in and has the position to take him over. That's got to be tough. Ben is also this like weak-minded guy who's constantly convinced of so much, like, this is going to be the guy over my dead body. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Locke, for what it's worth, he has his own emotional roller coaster in this scene, including as soon as stuff goes south, he just books it straight out of the cabin. Yeah, he Jesus it. Possibly he leaves it. Ben behind to die, possibly in another universe. But Ben's able to make it out in one piece. That was Jacob. Uh, great line. And then in the daylight the next day, they're walking together. Uh, and so Ben really wants to know. He's like, what did he say? Uh, and I've always I love this uh, this whole scene. There's some there's some line reads here that my my friend Ben and I uh, not this Ben and not the Ben behind the curtain like to parrot back and forth at each other. Uh, well, uh, you have this. How about uh, I? Because I actually have it here. Let's do we'll do bonus sound sound six point five. Let's let's see if we okay. can get straight from the horses' mouths here. All right. Well, I need the I, I need the script. So let's uh, let's see if we can't pull that up. Give me a second to find it. Uh, man behind the curtain transcript well i'll just i'll tell you some of the line reads uh, that i really like mm-hmm. uh because it's the way that they, he says him uh when he says what did what did jacob say to you i've always loved how terry o'quinn says he didn't say anything 
you did. Like, I just love the way he says, you did. Well, I also like Locke. I don't know. In my opinion, Locke still thinks that Ben is, like, a master ventriloquist. He is the Jeff Dunham of Lost, and that he's able to, like, throw his voice like, help me. It's not Ben Linus. It's Jacob. Right. He thinks it's just another ploy, you know? Uh, he's a fraud. Time for your people to know the truth. And why are we going this way? Uh, and this is another line that I love from Ben. He goes, I'm taking us back another way. I uh, wanted to show you something first. <laughs> and, and why is John Locke just like, that's weird? I mean, maybe he does clock it a little bit, but it still makes him be like, okie dokie, let's keep going. Yeah. Uh, and then another line, uh, and this is the one that my friend and I always say to each other. Some of the things I've told you, some of the things I've told everybody are simply not true. Uh, so I love how Ben says that. Uh, he wants to show Locke where he really came from. And so we get to see it. And we get to a flashback. And there is the the oldest 23-year-old on the planet, Benjamin I don't Linus. know. Have you seen teen shows? There's Those are some pretty, you know, uh, older-looking people as well. I think Ben could fit right in on 90210. Uh, I've also seen Jack. Uh, That's true. So Benjamin Linus, he's, got, he's packing up Annie's toy. Uh, in our continuity, I guess we're imagining he's murdered her at this point, or he's on the way towards murdering What if he her beat her with that paper mache figure? <laughs> None of it's good. None of it's good. Like, uh, yeah, like the snow globe and unfaithful. Uh, and so they're, they're, uh, he's, he's going to, to, to go to work with his dad. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a, a workman like now. his father. Yes, he's followed in his father's footsteps. Uh, and once again, it's his birthday. He's like, Dad, I keep forgetting, you keep forgetting my birthday, man. And Roger's like, ah, shucks. All right, well, here, let's just do this drive, and then let's go get Schwasty on the Mesa, uh, a.k.a. the place from Westworld, yes. but not actually. Uh, and if uh, you ever wanted, just if you really did not put two and two together yet, that Roger Workman is indeed the skeleton, uh, this this uh, sound number seven, as we find out the last living moments of Roger Linus's life. Yeah, let's do it. All but confirm it. Here yeah, we immediately. Get, let's get some three-dog night going on here, Josh. <laughs> You sure can't say it ain't beautiful. Do you really blame me? What? Do you really think it's my fault that she died? What do I know? Why do you keep looking at your watch? You got a date? Listen, if it makes you feel any better, I will do my best to remember your birthday next year. I don't think that's going to happen, Ted. What do you mean? You know, I've missed her too. Maybe as much as you have. But the difference is that for as long as I can remember, I've had to put up with you. And doing that required a tremendous amount of patience. Smoke bomb. 
disappears. And by disappears, I mean he nerve gases his own father. So I love this. Not love in the sense of like, ooh, this is so much fun. And especially as we get into the genocide that they do of the Dharma Initiative, this is some of the darkest stuff Lost has done and will ever do. What I love about this is what makes me obsessed with all this is how much it warps expectations. Because up to this point, the flashback devices on Lost showed us that even some of the most negative, disliked characters all had reasons why they became that. Like you said before, like branches come from roots in a certain perspective. Characters like Sawyer, even like Juliet, people who have done bad things and come off like bad people, have these very complicated psychologies that make us view them in a different light and ultimately lead to their redemption down the line, uh, especially very immediate with those two characters. We get that a little bit with Benjamin Linus leading up to this point, right? We're like, oh, his father treats him terribly. His mom is dad. He's dead. He's dragged to this island. You know, he's he's really sort of being played by multiple forces here. But it's such a turn that there is no redemption for this characterization. We are yeah. led to really sympathize with Benjamin Linus, and then he murders his goddamn dad in cold yeah. blood. And it, it's yeah. incredible. It's incredible how much they just sort of say, yeah, you know what? He's a complicated person, but he is a terrible person. Yeah. He kills his dad. He voted out his own dad. You know, he, he nerve gases his dad. And it's just tip of the iceberg stuff. But the way that Emerson plays it all, um, he plays the whole thing, even as he's walking back through Dharmaville. Uh, and there are there are B O D Y S everywhere, Michael. And it is, uh, and it's it's a it's an image that has stuck with me forever. Yeah. Because granted, again, the, these are not people that we know. But when we get, but there's like kids, there's kids who are yeah. playing volleyball, like, like you know, and, like teenagers. And we get, and we see the Dharma Initiative in season five, and like you said, there's some real a holes working there. But for the most part, they're fairly innocent people, and they all died. Died. They just all got killed. In an instant to serve a greater purpose. And they get piled into a grave. It is extremely, incredibly dark stuff that plunders the moral abyss. And here Benjamin Linus is, you know, going up to Horace Goodspeed, the man that brought him here in the first place, and just simply closes his eyes and moves on with it. This man does not Because it's like, this needed to happen. You know, it's like, I, I wish I didn't have to kill you, Horace. You were one of my favorites of the crew, but you had to die. At the very least, I can shut your eyes. Um, but there is, there is like this, this sense from Ben of like monumental achievement when he takes his mask off and is there with Richard, who has not aged a day. Yeah. Uh, and right? and, also, and, and he also probably didn't need to wear a mask. I guess it's more so to like encourage others to wear a mask. <laughs> but you know like there is that right like he's there and it's and there's this there's this look on his face that is purely like we did it we absolutely effing did it uh and it's dark as hell you know it is it's a it's a very it's a it's a long leap from you know baby ben yeah to to this and i and i think it's very effective mike that they don't spend a lot, like they spend a lot of time in the flashback without Michael Emerson, you know, yeah. with Sterling Beaumont as as young Ben, um, showing the ways in which his father didn't like 
you know, the ways in which his father like thoroughly emotionally abused this kid was totally neglectful, was totally not there. The desperation of this guy to like leave and find his mom and um, be in a in a world in which he could be special and happy, and then to leap from that being sort of like the lasting note uh, of him having a friend in this world and everything to then murdering all of these people without a lot of additional explanation. It is such a drastic jump that it it somehow makes the next drastic jump somehow all the more surprising. Mm. Like, the fact that, like, the, the episode pulls this off twice. Yeah. That we see the purge and we're shocked by it. And then what happens at the very end, which I think we could play right now. This is where I came from, John. These are my people. The Dharma Initiative. They came here seeking harmony. But they couldn't even coexist with the island's original inhabitants. When it became clear that one side had to go, one side had to be purged. I did what I had to do. I was one of the people that was smart enough to make sure that I didn't end up in that ditch. Which makes me considerably smarter than you, John. Oh. Oh. What did Jacob say to you? Why did you do this? Because you heard him. Now I need to know what he said. Help me. John? I'm not going to ask you again. What did he say to you? He said, Help me. I certainly hope he helps you, John. And let me finish off that by reading the stage directions from the last page of the episode. And with that, Ben turns, walks away, his cold eyes filling frame, and then disappearing. And it's instantly clear that the flashback of a young, sweet boy was not what we were watching. No, we were watching the birth of a monster. Smash to black, end of show. Well, well, they changed it a little bit, but I mean, that, that's, a, that's effectively what happens. Uh, so yeah, so, so, know, to, the- to, so to your point, I totally agree. We didn't need to see more of quote-unquote adult Ben, young adult Ben, as it were, because... That one scene was all we needed to see. We know the rest of how evil and malevolent and malicious Ben can be. We didn't need filling in of like, oh, and here's all the other stuff he did as an adult. We just needed a reminder of how far Benjamin Linus can go. Not just a not just a reminder, but like, here's all these sweet little Ben out of con. Like, we're contextualizing Ben as a boy, and now you know this, and like, we're trying to make you think of him differently because you've seen him be terrible in so many other ways and now let us show you 
like the worst thing you can do. Yeah. <laughs> genocide. <laughs> no, let's show you genocide and then let's show you him murdering or, or close to it. Um, one of the core characters of the show and leaving him for dead. Uh, and I think especially very interesting to, to, to throw him on the potty, the, the body, the pile of the bodies. bodies of BOD, <laughs> the potty, throw him in the potty. Uh, Tywin Lannister. Uh, throw him in the John. That's right. Uh, but, but put him in on, on the pile of the dead as if he's just another, another body exactly. added to the pile, just like he's nothing. And, and beyond that, the contrast, Mike, of, and maybe among the reasons why Locke sometimes Maybe among the reasons why Locke is sometimes overconfident with Ben and leaves, you know, turns his back to Ben to his chagrin at least twice, once almost fatally, and then another time actually fatally, mm-hmm. um, is because Ben came back for him the last time that he was wiped out on his back. Exactly. Right? Locke um, cried out for help. He said, Help me. And Ben said, all righty, give me just a second to get away from this cabinet, and I will do so, and I will save the world yeah. in doing so. And so Locke I, th- yeah. Locke, I think, always had that image in his mind. You didn't have to go back for me, but you did. And that's something that will betray him, as you said, multiple times. There's so much great stuff about this scene. I love Ben using the purge as a metaphor for what he's going to do to 815. Like, the right. way he is talking it through logically of there's a group of people that are the island's natives. Another group has come in and they have literally crossed a line and these two groups don't get along. So it's only natural that I have to purge them. I'm sorry. My hands are tied. It's just part of the process. And again, I think it sets up extremely well the danger that Ben has. Look at what he just did to the Dharma initiative. There is Zero to, to very little chance he would not do the same exact thing and mow down everyone in 815, including little baby Aaron, if he had the chance to do yeah, so. They do. It's very effective in demonstrating that Ben is not to be taken lightly, yeah. that this guy is capable of even worse than you thought. And not to mention, you know, Locke gets a couple of words in here, right? You think for a second it's going to be another Paolo lies thing with help me being misinterpreted. But when Locke reveals to Ben that Jacob told him, help me, it's the beauty of it. Because even when Ben thinks he has the upper hand, there's that sting of, yeah, you think you got one over on John Locke, but Jacob still asked Locke to help him. And it's it's still it's going to be the thing that gets Ben to kill Jacob eventually. The the what about me? Yeah, Uh, it's like, help me. But I'm doing your I'm I'm doing everything right. I'm leading these people. I'm succeeding. I'm doing what do you need help from? Yeah, exactly. And so it's it's a thing that, you know, building that resentment, you know. And while so while Ben can have a quote unquote happy ending right here, it's always going to be a little bitter because Ben is someone who is always going to have something stuck in his craw, whether it's his unrequited feelings for Juliet, whether it's the fact that he has a tumor on his spine, there's always going to be something in Ben's head that's saying like Yes, you accomplished this, but you're not done yet. And maybe that's conditioned yeah. into him because of his work for the for you know the others. Something else that really came out of the words to his dad, I found it very intriguing that he uses the patience line for his dad because that, to me, informs indoctrin- indoctrination into a cult. Like, for lack of a better yeah. term, I think the others are a cult. Uh, and so I think Ben parroting what Richard told him all the way back then now I think shows him fully crossing over to that side to the point where he is sort of using that scripture, what has once been told to him, he will use as well. But now he's he still believes that while he is faithful to Jacob, 
there's still that nagging thought at the back of his head. Well, well, he told John Locke, help me. What the hell does that mean? And as he, you know, starts to pursue forward to the final steps of his plan, which we'll see in Through the Looking Glass, that's still going to be there. And John Locke is far from being pulled out of his side as a thorn for weeks and years to come. Yeah, the thing about John Locke is uh, he, you know, John Locke is going to inspire a lot of the people to do the right stuff for the end game of this show, right? Like John Locke is ultimately his memory is going to be what pushes Jack. Right, his his legacy um, is probably the most important part of the end game of Lost. Absolutely, um, but like when you're mythologizing something and when you're lionizing someone, often you're losing some details like character flaws. And a big character flaw for John Locke is his God complex, Mm -hmm. right? You know, he thinks he's the chosen one. He thinks he's the island is communing with me. I'm special. Um, And the island is important. And he is taking for granted with Ben that not only is this guy not the person that the island has chosen, but that this guy is going to choose island above all. Because if nothing else, at least we both are in agreement that the island is of critical importance. And the island has clearly chosen me. uh, And you're full of shit. And your people are believing in me, so you're going to have to fall in line when we go back and I tell everyone that you're full of shit. He never once suspects that if he turns his back on Ben, that Ben will put a bullet in it. You know, it's, it's, just, it's not on his radar. He's riding such a high with the Anthony Cooper stuff, um, with how everything went down. Like, the, the weight of the world has been lifted off his shoulders, and it's nothing but, you know, uh, clean, crisp, open air from now on out. Uh, and he's wrong. Yeah. He's wrong once again. He's wrong about that, and he's going to be wrong about it even even again with 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 Ben. And I think a lot of it is because, like, I think he takes for granted that um, at the very least in Benjamin Linus, he has encountered a companion who is island above all. Yeah. Uh, you know, island first. Uh, he's wrong. So in the commentary for this episode, Damon Lindelof, when talking about Richard Alpert's encounter with the young Ben that we played before, compares it and, and also Ben and Locke's trip to the cabin compares it to uh, choosing the Dalai Lama by way of the, what's known as the Panchen Lama. I believe it's how it's pronounced, where essentially it's sort of like the second in command approaches someone who they believe, you know, has these sort of mystical qualities and test them to see if they are worthy of this position. To Damon's point, there's a lot of great parallels going on there with, you know, to the to the point you made before of like the passing down of leadership almost, how Richard sees something in Ben and tests him, and what Ben sees in Locke and tests him. But as you said before, the difference lies in the eye of the beholder here, in the eye of this Panchen yeah. Lama, whereas Richard Alpert can certainly be a, a shrewd and certainly someone who's capable of, of getting things done. But, you know, he, he is someone who is able to maybe pursue a bit of a hands-free approach to bringing someone into the fold. And it works to a certain extent. But when Ben finds out that John might be the next Dalai Lama, he pushes him off the Tibetan mountain. You know, he yeah. says that, well, I he might be in, in next in line to the Dalai Lama. I don't want that. That's a threat to me. I'm going to make sure that, you know, I stay the Dalai Lama at least for a little bit longer. And even just to see the discrepancy between those two relationships says everything about Benjamin Linus in relation to the island that you need to know. Interesting. Uh, great ending, man. I, I remember just like being in such like shock and awe. Like, you can't do that to John well, Locke. Well, especially because... <laughs> 
Like he, you can't shoot John Locke in the heart, and he's and he's well. Also, like the sound is is oh horrible. Just hearing Terry O'Quinn just like gasping for breath as he Ben like, walks that dude away. Looks dead. He's dead. And we're not going to see him at him. all next episode. And we're only going to see him two scenes in the finale. So like they leave him there and they make us wait. Of wait, yeah. is Locke? Locke might be dead. We didn't see him. We don't see him next episode. Locke might actually be dead here. This might be how Locke dies, right after he killed. And that also makes sense as well. And one of the reasons why I thought Locke might have died in this moment is because we have seen in the past, like, Boone lets go of Shannon, and then he dies. You know, uh, some Shannon gets Saeed to see Walt, and then she dies. This moment of, like, a character being able to accomplish something just in time to die. Anna Lucia isn't able to kill Henry Gale, and then she dies. I definitely thought at the time, John Locke, Got this monkey off his back. He finally got rid of Anthony Cooper. Now it's time for him to die. All right, let's get into uh, some feedback here uh, from Daniel Brennan. Why did the others feel compelled to kill everyone in the Dharma Initiative? Um, I think it could be as simple, Mike, as like, it's it's a territorial war. And Charles Widmore is a ruthless son of a bitch. And if he's calling for it. Then the others are going to follow suit. Widmore's in charge. Well, not to mention, it seems like from the way Richard is vocalizing his frustrations and by proxy the others' frustrations in that passage that I read, I think this has probably been something that's been brewing for a while. And so maybe it just boils over like, you know what, just take out the lot. You know, you do have some people that are worth saving, like a Benjamin Linus, for example, as an inside man. But I think the Dharma Initiative as an organization is much more dangerous than, like, the group of people. So even though, like you said, there are many, many, horrifically many innocent lives involved in this gassing, they say, we need to make a point, let's wipe the slate clean, no survivors. We have Mikhail and Ben, those are the two that are left. Yeah. Uh, this is from Andrew Humphrey, who asked, was Jacob in on gassing and killing everyone in Dharmaville? Only insofar as maybe Mikey's, like, uh, not li- like an active listener when Richard Alpert's like telling him everything that's going on. So Widmore's thinking about gassing everybody in Darwinville. What do you think about that? Yeah, you know, whatever, whatever. Yeah, go for it. I'm golfing. Yeah, I-, I think Jacob could sort of be like the by any means necessary thing. And maybe, I-, I don't know, the way I like to read it is that at this point, Ben has sort of become such an upstart in his year since that I I think the gassing is his idea. I think to your point, the way he struts through Darmaville so confidently and not even like blinking an eye at all these people he grew up with just dying in an instant shows to me that maybe he came up with the severity of this idea because this doesn't feel like a Richard Alpert idea to me right like Richard Alpert might run a guy over who's a jerk ass with a bus to get Juliet to come to the island but I don't think he would massively murder a group of people considering what he doesn't feel considering what he experienced on the black rock which was essentially that I think it would be weird for him to do so I personally think this shows Ben's burgeoning position with the others is that he's like all right i have this plan and jacob's sure to like yeah you know what what whatever ben wants as long as it gets rid of them i don't really care it's sort of like you could uh get rid of mice the humane way or you could just set the traps and wait for what happens um so from down Saravo, what exactly is ben's relationship with jacob in the cabin ben has never spoken or seen jacob so what does he know about the cabin so the cabin i believe was built by horace goodspeed I want to say I'm pretty sure he built the cabin. So this had to come about in the seventies of some sort. I would imagine this is like a Richard Alper thing. I guess the question is, obviously I don't think Horace built this specifically for Jacob. Could it have just been like, no, he built it as like a vacation. home. Yeah. Like some offsite lodging. 
I so do you think that Jacob's like, oh, that seems like a nice vacation home. I'll, I'll, I'll stay well, there every once in a the while. The interesting thing, and another reason why I don't think that, that Jacob is, is really the one in that scene, is is that when Alana finds the cabin, she says something like, Jacob's hasn't been here for a while. And I don't know what a while means necessarily. Maybe he makes like, some visits in the beginning. He's like, yeah, I don't really like it here. I'm not really a rustic type of person. And then the man in black's like, ho, 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 let me take over. Squatter's yeah. rights. Squatters writes uh, from Stefan Johnson. So Ben sees his mom because he's special, right? Not because Dave and Libby brought her body to the island. <laughs> what if they just had a pile of bodies. Like, all right, throw Ellen on there. <laughs> I think uh, I, I think the uh, the the ashes on the mantle works for me. Why not? You know, I think that I think you could just write that off really quickly, and I think that that tracks. What, what speaking uh, of the ash, because we're going to get into the ash circles once much more when it gets into the temple near the end of season five. I mean, do you think that's just like some sort of mythical, mystical ashes? Could they be the ashes of like dead people that somehow yeah, keep, keep the smoke monster at bay? Yeah. So like, if, well, or they could be like supplies. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. You know? Getting high on your These own are, supply. Yeah, that ash over there. That's uh, that's Dan. You know, sometimes I like to run around as Dan. You know, maybe he just has a bunch of ashes that are mixed around the cabin. I, either that, and, or maybe this was another connection back to the volcano that never never manifested. That like the volcanic mm, ash that rained down. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that works for me. That's fine. Um, Eric Divestein, assuming the the appearances of Ben's mother were actually Smokey, how did he get inside the sonar fence to peer into Ben's window? Is this proof that Smokey can jump the fence when he wants to? But generally chooses not to reveal. I don't know. I, I like our idea that just it was yeah. Horace Goodspeed was like, whoa, I totally forgot to turn the switch, man. I thought green meant go, so I left. Yeah. yeah. Uh, from last time, Mike, we had a bunch of people writing. <laughs> yeah, in this is about a, our, one of our bigger uh, massive corrections. No, we I, get this I, year. I appreciate it. And like, as no, soon no, no, as, like, I, re- I really one, appreciate like, it. And that was sort of that was yeah. much more of like a forehead slapping moment of like, duh, of course. Oh yeah, so so we we talked about like why is Ben what's his interest in the fertility projects and clearly the answer is that like well if Alex gets pregnant she'll die and that's his daughter and that's no good so that's it and so a bunch of people wrote in David Lee's wrote mm-hmm. in a bunch of people wrote in the the explanation and were like as soon as the first one came it's like oh yeah of course and then like fifteen others and, came it, in. and, 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 and again like, we really sorry. appreciate that too we're not going to gas the others hey here. that means you're active actively listening yeah. that's great and also it explains why again uh, Ben was was a disciplined daddy when it comes to the Carl stuff of like he really wants to make sure or that they mitigate the chances of Alex getting pregnant. There's also the stuff linked back to, like, you know, I think the whole theme of fertility issues, the fact that he was born early and his mother ended up dying during childbirth. You have to imagine that's incorporated into it a bit as well. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, so... Uh, what about Jim Fell's music in house? It's got to be a lot because we're getting Ben's theme in a big way in this. Episode. Yeah, so we get a lot of Ben stuff. Uh, when Roger is running through the woods, you mentioned you know Ben's theme popping up. It's going to pop up again, most notably when during a memorable Ben beat down in season five, when Desmond beats Ben up at the harbor and then throws him in. Uh, so there's the cabin theme that is obviously going to pop up in this episode, and it's going to be show up a number of times in the future, and it serves as a great representation of this ping pong match, eternally so, between Locke and Ben. Like for instance. In the beginning of season four, when Locke's like, oh, we're leading them to Jacob, we're going to the cabin, Ben's theme is the one to appear more because Ben's presence there is really, you know, nagging at John, being like, he doesn't know where he's going, he can't really talk to Jacob. But then, in season five, when, as you mentioned, uh, Locke confidently approaches Richard Alpert and is like, I'm going to be the leader of you, come find me as a baby— Locke's theme is prominent with the cabin theme. So I think depending on which character's theme is associated with, it shows sort of who has power over the cabin. 
And as Ben is talking with Jacob in the chair, there's a motif that Jim Fells calls the no good theme plays. Basically, huh. it pops up every time no good happens. So, like, for example, we hear it uh, when Desmond and Michael are ruminating over the C4 on the Kahana. We hear it when Claire appears in, uh, in Cabin Fever. So, yeah, lots of, like, dark, dirgy, foreboding themes, understandably, in this episode. Very cool. All right, let's get into the MVPs and LVPs. I've got three MVPs to give out. You've got three LVPs to give out. I'll start us off. Give me Saeed Jarrah. Once again, the go-to guy. Uh, everybody knows, like, Saeed's the level-headed one. Let's bring all the bullshit to Saeed. And Saeed's like, yeah, bring it to me. I'll take care of this. Uh, Saeed Jarrah, once again, I know, uh, you know, listen, is he in it for like five seconds? Sure. But Saeed is the guy. He's- Saeed's the MVP of the group, and everybody knows it. And this is an episode that just like further demonstrates that idea of like, when in doubt, trust Saeed. Yeah, this is a really... You and I were texting before this episode about how... Spo- spoiler alert for the LVPs! I'm going to give you a spoiler alert before we get to that... You sc- can just spoil okay, that. Okay, well, I think that, that this is an episode that is actually worthy of a lot of LVPs because there are people who make mistakes here. I don't think that that's grounds for a bad episode, but I do think... People make a lot. No, mistakes are great. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it, for it's, creativity. It's natural yeah. for drama, but people make a lot of errors in this episode. And so I, I do think that Saeed is one of those rare people to like not do so. If anything, it's the, it's because he didn't listen to the tape the whole way through, but that's Sawyer's fault. Cause Sawyer didn't bother yeah. to turn the tape over and listen to the other side, Mr. Mixtape. Uh, but you know, Sawyer won't be getting a point cause there's just too much, uh, bad to be had. But I'm gonna give the opposite of a bad. I'm gonna give an MVP point to Annie. Annie. The only point you'll get, she's just a great, a great welcomer, a great friend to Benjamin Linus, who frankly needed one at the moment. It's so sad that he probably ended up killing her at some point. Annie, are you okay? We'll never know. Uh, so <laughs> she's been, she's been hit by a smooth criminal in the form of Benjamin Linus. So she's at least okay on the rankings. I've got two more MVPs, and I'm double tapping the smoke monster. Been a minute. Been a minute since I've given the monster this much well, love. Yeah, because I, think- I think, you know, to the point that I made before, which I know you push a little bit of against, I do think that the smoke monster appearances are maybe a bit sparing in this season. So we haven't had many opportunities to embrace him. No, but he's great here. Uh, the, the Winston, help me moment of it all. And uh, him luring Ben around as a kid, as, as clearly as Emily. Uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a very clear point for the smoke monster for me. And I want to double it up because it's been a minute. And I think he's so effective in this episode. The cabin stuff is so, so, so great. Uh, so give, give it to the smoke show. I'm thrilled to do it. Josh... I think I love Richard Alpert. Yeah, of course. Because I'm going to give him another point here, and I'm pretty sure like every single episode that Richard Alpert has appeared in, I've given him an MVP point. It's those eyes. Speaking of a smoke show. Yeah, I mean, listen, he's got that smoky eyeliner, but I, I think that Richard, I mean, I, uh, the reason why I give Richard these points is because he's able to accomplish like what he puts forward doing. In this episode, yeah. he's able to recruit Ben to the others, and as a result, he's able to expunge the Dharma Initiative from the island and take it over. So Richard succeeds on his goal here, even though, you know, maybe the hair is not necessarily getting an MVP point here. I'm going to have to continue to commentate Richard here. Very well. Um, all right, LVPs, you've got three, I've got two. Where are we starting? All three for me is going to Papa Roger Linus. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he sucks. Yeah, he really, like, I know you... And he dies, I would have given him a yeah. point and, because and, he dies. And, you know, there's, there's stuff that happens, like you said, in season five that maybe, at least, 
he doesn't regard Ben as a total POS for some points in season five, but from what we're seeing in this episode, man, he is a rough character. Rough, rough yeah. character. And his hairline's pretty rough, too, by the end of it. Man, there's a lot of LVPs to give out this week, because I'd be tempted to give one to John Locke for turning his back yeah. on but, Ben. But I do feel like and, it's a bit of a wash in that he does actually get to talk to Jacob and sort of, like, one-up Ben. Yeah, and he's gonna, and then, like, he's gonna, you know, magic will save him in a few episodes from now. Uh, Mikhail, I was thinking about, because he gets his ass kicked. Um, but the Dharma Initiative dies. Mm-hmm. So I gotta give an LVP to the Dharma and Initiative that, for dying. I think that's our first, because we've given points to the others on mass, but not they, to the Dharma ne- Initiative. The Dharma Initiative has never gotten anything, so they are currently resting at a negative one. Uh, and it's his episode, uh, and it's a strong Michael Emerson showcase, but Benjamin Linus commits genocide. Patricide and genocide in one episode. So this isn't this isn't uh, the, the Ethan Rom defense of yours of like, well, I commend what he was able to do. No, because this is really bad. <laughs> it's genocide. You can, uh, no MVP points for genocide. That's I think that's our hard and fast uh, rule on Town the Hatch. No that's MVP a hard points line. I'm for not genocide. Cross that. That's our line. Uh, that's my line. Everybody with me. Uh, don't get killed by Benjamin Linus. Uh, all right, so Benjamin Linus gets an LVP. That'll shake it out. Let's do the rankings. 4.2s from both you and me for all the obvious reasons, I think. Mm-hmm. And it is getting a slight edge over the brig from the audience. It's a 4.1 from the audience, which makes the man behind the curtain is ahead of the brig, which was second last week. It's now fallen to three. And it is just a smidge behind flashes before your eyes, which is still the title holder here in season yeah, the three. The difference is point zero zero three right now. It is very four point one six one versus four four point one five eight. And the rankings reflect such. I believe the lowest is a three point seven, obviously going up to four point two, which is a little bit more closer ratings than the break. I mean, I just love this episode so much. I do too. It's, it's just great. so it's it's so unnerving. It does a fantastic job of not only furthering the island mythology, but also tying into the central themes of these two guys that we have pontificated on for so long. It is genuinely shocking, one shock after the other. I think to the point you made before, I don't know if I'd call it like a perfect episode of Lost and that the 815 stuff is good, but not necessarily stellar. But like we talked about last week, I feel like even those imperfections are overridden by just how sublime everything else is in this episode yeah i still say i would take the brig first over over the brig versus the man behind the curtain but they're both stellar episodes and i would be thrilled to take both of them uh and the entire the trilogy yeah uh, the man from tallahassee the brig and the man behind the curtain are all in the top four uh and they are all above a four so that is with that and flashes before your eyes, there are four episodes of season three so far that are above a and four. We're, and we're going to probably get to another one next week. Uh, very, very likely we are going to get to it. I know we'll get to another 4.2 from me. The question is from you and from the audience. So I'm really pumped to get into Greatest Hits, which we're going to be dropping on 1225. Merry Christmas, Charlie. Oh, no. Hopefully it's not. This podcast isn't as disturbing as Charlie's Christmas dream. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to do no, that. No, Liam yeah, in a diaper, please, people. We do not have the funds yet to get him a piano, but if you support us on Patreon, maybe that'll change. Patreon.com slash recaps our new stretch goal. Get Charlie Pace a piano. <laughs> finally, Dominic Monaghan's been waiting with bated breath for years to get a piano, and now we can finally do it. Yeah, so think about Five it. For that's uh, follow-up to Monster 8 the pilot. 
Send your feedback down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Check out everything that we're doing across post-show recaps. Mike is doing Star Trek disco coverage with Jessica Lease. I've got the Mandalorian podcast with Kevin Mahadeo, as well as Latanya Stark. Yeah, I know that, uh, Josh, you just did a big uh, couple of podcasts on both your Mando podcast and an emergency everything is super podcast because Disney dropped a veritable pile of bodies of announcements this past week. And so you made sure so to many you cover them in full. An insane amount of announcements, which we covered on Everything is Super. We're also back on our Spider-Man bullshit, <laughs> emphasis on bullshit, because we talked about the amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2, and we had a terrible time. Uh, so apologies, so, that podcast well, sucks. What, what if the smoke monster uh, ended up being Electro? Oh, God, don't even. Um, uh, hang in there. The Avatar The Last Airbender rewatch with Zach and Jacob still going on. Uh, so just a million things, yeah. a million and things I, plus one. And I know you've got a ton of amazing race shenanigans. I also know that, and Josh, you and I have both made separate appearances on the Shit 90s Show Taught Me podcast, yes. helmed by the great uh, Jessica Sterling of uh, Community Watching Fame. I know I got to talk the Rugrats Hanukkah special, and you got to talk Jingle All the Way. Mm-hmm. Put the cookie down. Uh, Phil Hartman playing so against type as that evil, evil Put man. Put the bunny down. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Great stuff. So lots of great things. Not so great uh, as we're recording this. There was an honest trailers about Lost that dropped. Not thrilled about it. Don't tell me what happened in it, Mike. I swear to God. But if anyone wants uh, to watch I say it, it's spoiler alert there. and then immediately launch into it. No, because I don't want to be here for it. So uh, I want nothing to do with it. But it, it's out there if you want it. Some people think it's funny. I don't like it. Uh, the, Just on principle. There, there, are, there are some fun. I would say it's not as egregiously offensive as we may think. There are some jokes made at the show. I hear expense. they make fun of Trisha Tanaka. I want nothing to do they with do. that. But the mo- for the most part, it's done out of love, and it's definitely generalizing for the sake of humor. So I would I would encourage people to check it out and make your own musings. Just do not at Josh. The one thing is clear. Do not at me. Do not at me before we go just want to say support for this podcast comes from pluto tv need an escape drop into pluto tv for a world of free tv stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free yeah free no subscriptions no fees imagine 24 7 channels of narcos csi star trek survivor and everything else from hit movies to binge worthy tv shows the latest news live sports comedy and more what are you waiting for Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV, drop in, watch free. With that, Mike Bloom, we will be back next week talking greatest hits. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.